This podcast is for mature audiences only and may include cussing, cursing, fidgeting, rambling, insensitive or irreverent material, slurs, catchphrases, expressions, lamentations, and or degradations that aren't suitable for young folk. Also, we'll be talking about the reefer. That wizard came from the moon. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers that toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, it's our 21st episode, and we're continuing our countdown on the 20 games that made us gamers. We're back after a little break where Andy went a globe trotting with a decrepit old DS light and a bag of weed. We've asked some of our listeners for their favorite games that are at least 20 years old, and a couple other tidbits of assorted video game news as we get back into the swing of things. And look back at some of the titles that released in May. We'll also be settling in for a smoke sesh with our strain and our munchie of the week, so stick around for that, because it's going to be a good, good time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me as always, the one, the only, huge wiener, Dank Dan. Hey, yo, uh, Andy, the fuel gauge here on the Purple Dungeon Pod is showing empty... Did you remember to fill us up on Dank Matter at the last space station? Oh, dude, I thought you were filling up on Dank Matter. I just went in to grab some munchies. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. On one hand, this does mean certain depth in the cold grips of space. On the other hand, I've been saving Ringolos. up... On the some, other hand, we have Ringolos. We do have Ringolos. The good news is I've been saving up space keef up for the last hundred jumps or so, so easy on the throttle. This stuff is potent <laughs> space keep space like keep space keep space keep is the next you know when when i was first given my my um my inaugural moon rock so yep. i had a friend a couple years ago when moon rock started being a thing for those of you that don't know moon rock is like a, a nug of generally pretty shitty weed dunked in some uh generally flavored by that i mean some essential oils in there um cannabis oil and then rolled in keef and when i was given my first moon rock i had anticipated given the fact that Everybody was slinging this stuff with with reckless abandon, of course, as a great way to get rid of your kife weed. Popped it in the old bong there and had my eyes roll into the back of my head. So it turns out that moon rocks, they're the real deal. Stiff britches. When you said space keef, I was thinking, you know, in the back in our uh, our cargo hold, somebody would stick their head out and he's like, you're looking for space keef. I'm like, no, no, Keith, you're fine. Just go back. You're good. Okay, space keef. Space Keith. Space, space Keith. Our space little, Keith. Our, our little uh, mentioned co, uh, co-space dweller, Space Keith. Yes, Space Keith in the back of the uh, in the back of the purple dungeon ship, not knowing what he signed on for. Just taking care of the gully works. Yeah, just just greasing out the engines, playing a little uh, playing a little Nintendo where he can get it. Old Space Keith, he's a good guy. The, the kid's amazing at Bomberman. 
Ooh, but only Bomberman. Everything else, only. just a just a fuck show. Guys, welcome to the Purple Dungeon Squid. If you haven't uh, joined us before, this here is a podcast, if you haven't guessed already, about weed and video games. That is our jam. That's what we're here for, and that's what we plan on berating you with over the next, oh, I've, what do you think, Dan? Three, four hours? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Unbroken. <laughs> We're going to try and keep it high and tight here. Um, guys, we haven't been around for a couple weeks. It has been, man, it has been a freaking flurry of things, hasn't it, Daniel? Uh, almost nonstop. Almost nonstop. I mean, a couple days ago, I went to the library and listened to a live reading of The Old Man in the Sea. Almost too much, really. Yeah. Well, you know, someday I truly do believe, Dan, you will find friends. But until then, um, you know, Old Man in the Sea, Hemingway, what else, what else can you do? Uh, Man, I have been, but seriously, like out of commission for two weeks. I, I've been home for approximately like seventy-two hours in the last twenty-one days. So it's it's feeling a little, feeling a little crazy. I'm I'm just I'm disoriented, Dan. Where you been, Andy? <laughs> well, so I, I kicked off my uh, my tour of duty in Amsterdam. And it's like, okay, so I, I say that lightly, but Amsterdam's been on my bucket list for a very long time. So getting to go there was a genuine privilege, and I'll definitely circle back in around on it. Um, but then I came back from Amsterdam and promptly turned around and headed over to Vegas, which was cool as well, but no less exhausting. And then as, I, as soon as I returned back to Toronto, we had a trade show to go to. So I've just been <laughs> just generally uh, shoved in a series of moving vehicles um, and, uh, and positioned in front of people with a smile on. Yeah, at some point you want to return to a place that you are aware where those bed sheets were purchased. You know, you can just, you can vouch for them. This came from, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond and it's a 500 thread count uh, sheet cheating system really that only i and my wife have slept on yeah exactly i mean listen and i, I had a great time over all three of those uh, those events you know I, I i genuinely light up um being around people and having an opportunity to explore new things but there's just something about the comfort of home right like you just you know you get in your routine little joint before bed snuggling up it's uh, there's there's very very few opportunities to do that over the past couple weeks and i'm uh, missing it dan i'm feeling a little homesick you know, sometimes you got to go where everybody knows your name and not because it's printed on your chest on a, a name tag. <laughs> Boy, you, you nailed that one. You nailed that one. Um, but what about yourself? You know, I mean, the, 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 one of the main things I've been missing is our, is our weekly banter, Dan. It's been, it's been tough. It's been tough going without the squid for the last two weeks. So I'm glad to be back, glad to be back in the saddle. And, um, you know, we're going uh, to be rocking and rolling for the foreseeable future. So make sure you tune in weekly. What have you been up to, though, my good dude? Other than um, the old man in the sea, yeah, mostly Hemingway, but also um, I've been uh, wrist wrist deep into my car, uh, dealing with some issues with the battery. It's been delightful. My car's uh, been taken to shutting off at random intervals, which you know makes driving just like a fun game. Like, is your car sure. going to be on now? What about now? <laughs> oh, so, the old car know, roulette. I like it. That's right. Keeping it keeping it uh, uh, exciting on the road. Uh, it keeps also, it exciting in the morning too, because you never know if you're going to be able to get to work, right? So when you do, when you, you know, inconveniences like that really make you grateful for when things work out. We take so many things for granted, and uh, uh, vocationally, uh, getting to work, it's it's very important. Now, what I've I actually have in in my car is sort of a uh, car defibrillator. Should my car refuse to start, I have like a portable battery pack that I can jolt it to life. 
and then uh, force it down the uh, the 401. Uh, and oh, so yeah. far, it has not given up on me, but uh, I think it does need to see uh, a car doctor very soon. I've been giving it sort of some roadside EMT um, <laughs> and routine maintenance, but uh, we're going to have to get into the gully works and really tear it apart. Um, it, it's really funny when you when things start breaking down in your life and you just tolerate and ride them out as long as possible. Like I definitely have a habit of doing that. Phones, phones are the worst culprit, right? You mm. end up with a phone for like two years and all of a sudden your volume up button doesn't work. And in order to make a call, you have to like hold it into the sky like Thor bearing a hammer <laughs> and, wait, and wait for it to mysteriously connect through the three broken antennae inside. Well, and you're not a guy that breaks any of these... Uh, average parts that the norm the normies break you don't break a charging port or a screen that's for amateurs you break oh, yeah. integrated sensors like the one that detects if the phone is against your face so the right. the pleasure of speaking to you is it's oh hey dan how are you do, 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 do. <laughs> it sounds like you're dialing halfway through the conversation and i have to be like yeah. hey, andy you've already you've already phoned me i'm already here <laughs> it's pretty amazing we're, we're yeah, currently I speaking I actually just got a brand new iPhone 8, uh, which is uh, not a humble brag because it literally took me like four years to upgrade from my my humble iPhone 6. Um, and yeah, the, the, the tipping point was where I couldn't talk to anyone without muting the conversation at least four times. And <laughs> I, I would say ideal. like in your job, your top three qualifications in no particular order are talking, speaking, and words with your mouth. Yes, that's true. Words with your mouth specifically. And it's yeah. hard to make words with your mouth when your phone doesn't work. So it's um yeah, it's it's we're we're off we're off on, on a better trajectory, but there's still just little inconvenient things that, that laps around. Like just to bring it back to the video game world, I had a Sega Saturn that had to be sitting at exactly a forty five degree angle to spin a to, to spin a disc. Mm -hmm. And so I can remember because at that point, Sega, my Sega Saturn was like my jam, right? I had picked it up. I had bought it new. I was like, that was my system. Really poor system of choice if I'm to revisit that. <laughs> but, but um, you know, I, I remember not, have, of course, having any money to buy a new system or really no idea about the repair, the, the route of getting it repaired by Sega. So I would just sit there and every time I got a new game, be it Jungle Strike or, or Nights or what, Into Dreams or whatever... I'd sit it on a little little 45 degree angle, cross my fingers and press the button repeatedly until it started working. And you know, it just it makes you really appreciate it when you you get a Nintendo 64 a little while later and just pop pop the cartridge in and go. I know exactly what you mean. In fact, you know, my, speaking of vocations, my job is basically born out of the fact that as a, a much younger man, there were computers all over my house in a various working order, and I knew that if I spoke whispered the sweet words and and turned the dials just perfectly i could get this thing to play a video game which right. to me was like some form of magic so i, I consulted the runes and I, I studied deep deep into the night and managed to get a couple of these computers working with almost no guidance which it makes my childlike brain seem more much more powerful than my old old man brain now <laughs> like i'm like how did i even like that seems it, it feels like water warhammer 40k like did i light some incense and like dip the boards in the holy oil and then connect the power <laughs> supply like like what exactly happened you know but there's that that drive of 
you know, wanting wanting to get this thing to work. There's a mystery in there. You almost have to solve it. Uh, at one point, I had a Nintendo that seemed to double as a seismograph because if right. anyone stepped on the floor too hard, it would jangle and the screen would turn purple and uh, Zelda would have to go adventuring another day. <laughs> yeah, man, it's funny when you have limited resources as a kit and you're determined to have your gaming go on. Like, you know, I, I can recall my, um, and I mean, this is like, this is a real throwback, but I had a, I had a, uh, a CD-ROM game that was, I think, like, no real gamer cred's going to come out of this, but, <laughs> but had the uh, Muppets Treasure Island adventure game on it did that come um, out of a cereal box no it didn't it was a it was a purchase uh nice. maybe i'll give you a more relevant example pajama sam pajama Ooh. sam was uh that was one of those one of those classic adventure games for you know for generally targeted at young adults or whatever classic but, is a really loose term that you've just thrown around and i'm just gonna let that sit <laughs> i gotta disagree pajama sam had some teeth to it it was uh, it was like a twisty spooky weird please game hold on that... i'm gonna stop you there you don't have to sell me on pajama sam because okay, number one i don't know what you're talking about and number two i couldn't care less <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair point. Look up Pajama Sam sometime. Yeah, check it out on your own time. Check it out on your own. But I can recall like having, I don't know, whatever, a very small amount of RAM, like the amount of RAM that probably fits into a, a digital watch at this point. Right. And I don't know, like judiciously managing the amount of memory on my hard drive like oh we've got a hundred megabytes total and the, the the os is occupying most of that so somehow i'll have to you know get rid of minesweeper so i can play pajama sam it's it's just it's funny thinking back and like now we've got so much technology and so many ways to play video games whether it's on your smartphone or whether it's on you know one of the 15 systems i own it's like you know it's it's funny to think back you almost enjoyed it more back then you know you almost you definitely didn't take it for granted well you didn't have to like now i what it takes is i go at worst i go to uh, electronics boutique and i purchase the game for a set amount of money and then i come home and and like if there's not enough room on my playstation uh hard drive and i have to delete something that might be the demarcation point i'm like i'm not ready to make this decision it's later yeah uh, or you can just you know, to, man up and buy yourself a solid state hard drive. Yeah, man up. Exactly. I like what you did there. You impugned me and my manhood, and that's important. No, uh, the, <laughs> but compare that to Dan, you know, circa 1990. I, I slaved over a dead computer for 15 hours with no surety that I would ever be able to get to it to work, you know, uh, Frankensteining a bunch of components to get to play a single color Tandy version of Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the cost benefit like you well, let know me what tell I you mean? what the cost benefit on that is let me tell you the cost benefit of that is motion captured vanna white and oh. you know and a nine-year-old boy's heart that, there's all, really no mystery there in all her orange glory <laughs> uh just glowing just glowing um that's funny man that's funny so i i, I had a had a beautiful adventure in amsterdam i just want to i want to take it there because dude i i the number one thing I was thinking of while I was there was I wish you had come. I wish you had been in my in my company. It was just just a blast. So I left with Heart Gold, Pokemon Heart Gold, and a DS Lite, uh, which I know probably isn't to your taste, but it just it created this this kind of tone for the whole journey that was that was fun. You know, it was this this old game that I'm familiar with. I had fun playing it on the plane, and anytime I had a moment just to kick back outside in this really genuinely beautiful city. Um, 
and get some gaming in, you know, it, uh, boy, it was, it was special. And fun part about it was I had this beat up old DS light and I took it around to all of the coffee shops in Amsterdam, which spoilers don't sell coffee, only sell weed, uh, grabbing myself stickers and different shit to put all over this DS light. It was a heartwarming tale. It was like a young adult novel. Um, this was your backpacking through Europe. It's uh, coming in for a business motivated trip <laughs> to Amsterdam and you backpacked through just like uh, weed dispensaries masquerading as coffee shops. Now, they can't possibly be calling themselves coffee shops and containing no coffee. No, no, a thousand percent. So you can, in Amsterdam, it's, it was very disorienting because when I arrived, I had- Because of all the Dutch flight. people. Sure. <laughs> I, had an, I had an overnight flight. I arrived at 10 in the morning. I was sweaty. I was stinky. I needed to like hit the Airbnb and grab a shower. And walking into a coffee shop, I was like, hey, can I, can I get a flat white? And they were like, no, man, we don't have that. And I was like, what do you mean? I look up at the board. It's all just weed strains. That was the moment where it hit me. I'm like, this is my place. <laughs> this is my place. <laughs> Except I still I couldn't get a flat white. So I had to walk down the street to a cafe. So you can get a coffee at a cafe. Coffee shop, exclusively weed menu, and maybe some soft drinks. That's but what you're hold dealing Hold on a with. second. Then how is it a coffee shop? It's not. It's not a coffee shop at all. There's no then, coffee. I, I'm is, very the confused. Thing. Then why are you calling it a coffee shop? The, that's what it says in the front coffee shop. Like, you know, there's some, there's some classic ones, like old ones from the eighties, like Kadinsky coffee shop. It's all, so, it's all coffee shops. So let me, let me paint this for you just so I understand the sure. front of the, my store says burgers, but when you come in, you're like, I'll Weed. take a flame, uh, broiled bacon cheeseburger. I say, no bro, pancakes only. Is that or the weed, situation? Yeah. Same thing with weed. Yeah, exactly. It's so, exactly okay, all right. I rolled in and I'm looking at the, because like this coffee shop is right next to my Airbnb. Um, I think it's uh, Vogel, Vogel Coffee Shop. Shout out to you guys. You had some very good stuff. Um, and so I rolled in and, uh, you know, instead of seeing exactly flat white, Americana, whatever, on the menu, I see super lemon haze, uh, strawberry, kush, mango haze, you know, and it's, it's just a full on menu. No different than a dispensary here, except with a lot more class. And here's the, here's the, the next levelness of it is you can of course buy pre-rolls and all that other stuff, but there's also just open smoking section in the entire coffee shop. So there are these quaint little Amsterdam coffee shops. You sit down, you can spark up your joint and sit there and have a smoke in the company of other like-minded smokers while you're, you know, dinking around on your, uh, on your, your handheld gaming device. The ultimate purple dungeons experience i would venture buddy i i gotta tell you that sounds just great yes because yeah incredible like sometimes you know when you're out and about and you you need somewhere to sort of settle in a coffee shop is the right choice and the only thing to really have is some version of coffee i mean you can go with water or juice or whatever but it just feels like she do coffee and i don't know if you're like me but before long you've drank three coffees uh you're jittering to the moon and like you've taken three forceful dumps <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> it's like TMI. i'm sorry guys <laughs> i'm sorry take it down uh, that's sorry, fine buddy uh, it happens uh, to you've us excused all. yourself to the lavatory mm, several times um, <laughs> put on your monocle yeah, that's right. That's, uh, and uh, I like an alternative where you don't have to caffeinate yourself to the absolute uh, hilt. I don't know no, if you just ever... have to blow your mind, blow your mind into space. That's that's right. the alternative. When <laughs> in Holland, like, your Nugsmith, uh, your Amsterdamian, Amsterdanian 
doesn't matter. Nugsmith can give you like a, a low octane THC. You just explain to him gently. I, I'll be smoking for the next 57 hours. So can you give me something light? Listen, this is it actually. So I don't know what I don't know what the the situation is, but in Amsterdam, I can tell you that at almost all points throughout the day, uh, outside of normal business hours, generally speaking, um, I was you know I was consuming cannabis. I was in a coffee shop. So this is what you do in Amsterdam. Let me give you let me give you the lowdown. It's Hit a me. beautiful city. Uh, it's a you know beautiful European city of narrow laneways and you know winding winding cobbled streets, um, sitting on top of multiple canals crisscrossing in every direction. So it's gorgeous, of course, because it's all historical architecture. And as you're wandering through, you cannot help but get lost. And that's good because you want to get lost. All you want to do is you want to find a coffee shop and you want to sit down and you want to smoke a big joint and chill there for a little while and then go out and find yourself some munchies. And the whole city is munchies. That's all it is. There's munchies everywhere. Munchies of every kind from Stroopwafel all the way on down to whatever, a slice of pizza. Sorry. What and was that? Take two. Stroopwafel? What was that? It's a waffly delight. It's delicious. Look it up. Stroop waffle. It's like, okay, this, okay. Stroop waffle. I'll check that out. Sure. Waffly delicious thing. And you know, you get your munchies, you sit down, you enjoy that. And then you go out and you find yourself a patio and you have yourself some, some, some pints. Now, listen, you could go the craft beer direction, which I did a couple times, but to be honest, there's just something nice about drinking Heineken in Amsterdam. Call me a tourist, whatever. It was nice. Drank a lot of Heineken. And then you go back and find yourself another coffee shop. And you rinse and repeat until everything is closed down. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. And you cannot do one more thing before falling asleep. So it's uh, it's it's a beautiful spot. And I'm, I'm wondering to my... Like, I, I found myself wondering, could Canada be as cool as that experience in the future because we've got legalization coming, you know, you've got uh, legalized States in the U S which are moving in that direction, but I don't know what that whole, you know, uh, either vape lounge or smoking lounge situation will ever be. I don't know if we'll ever be able to smoke inside in Canada from the perspective of cannabis. Like I'm, I'm curious. I would love to have a, like a culture like that in Toronto where you could just spend a day going from, whatever lounge to lounge and uh, and enjoy you know all the other benefits of the city in that kind of headspace you know what i mean what do you think i think we can get there andy but it's gonna take a stiff 600 years you know what i mean oh there you go everything here is you know brand new and and i hate to say it and i hate to be this guy but it's it's steeped in corporatism in the sense that you see the mad rush um, for producers to get on, and God bless producers, but you know it seems that the way it's going is a couple producers sort of getting a duopoly or a very tight sort of stranglehold on, on the industry down here. And because there's so much money involved, business is kind of hungry to really uh, envelop it. And that's what business does. Business makes money. I mean, that's its purpose, and and mm. business is a great thing. But you know, sometimes you got to carve a path for culture. To, to step into the forefront, and I hope that happens. I hope we get that. Uh, I think that, it will, man. I, I that think it will. Culture, yeah, yeah. I sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but like you know, with with the Canadian scene, you get a lot of excuse me, you get a lot of eyeballs on the licensed producers. But there are there are a ton of tertiary industries coming in, and of course, it's all going to depend on um, it's all going to depend on the laws. Like right now, you can't make edibles, you can't do vape cartridges. There's a lot of stuff you can't do, uh, and actually, Amsterdam's like that too. There are no extracts in Amsterdam. You cannot get shatter there. You cannot get oil there. You cannot get anything other than flour, which That's is interesting. interesting. 
Yeah, it is. It's kind of strange, right? Because you're in this place where weed is legal. Forget weed. You could buy mushrooms at the corner store. <laughs> like you could just buy whatever. It's it crazy, right? You can but, buy uh, magic mushrooms at the corner store. You can. So you can buy what's called truffles. They're the. They're not the the caps of the magic mushrooms. They're um, uh, they're like the the stems, I guess. So it's it's right. slightly less insane, I, I hear, but uh, you know, still very much psychoactive. Anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. But it's interesting to me that you know you can buy these things, but you can't get shatter. You can't get wax. They have no market for dab rigs and, and, you know, um, you know, extract pens and stuff like that. Cause people just aren't really doing it. It's kind of, kind of interesting, but I digress back in Canada, you know, you get a lot of focus on the big boys, you know, your auroras and your canopies, but you know, there's a lot of craft growers that are coming out of it. Like, um, uh, whoever health Canada, I guess, or whoever, whoever's administering these licenses. Um, you know, there's a lot more that are going out now. Now to, to folks who are, you know, dealing with small grows, a couple thousand square feet, right? So it'll be really interesting to see what the, you know, what the culture looks like, if it kind of mimics the craft beer scene. I'm hoping it does. Um, and what other, more importantly for me, what spots exist out there for you to sit down and chill out on a Saturday afternoon with some buddies and some good food and some cannabis, right? Yeah. You know, in yeah, so it's it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how close we get to that very relaxed, very chilled, very just awesome vibe that Amsterdam has. You know, it, it's it's so interesting. I think where it's really gonna have the tests, where it's gonna sort of hit the rocks, is in Ontario. Um, a lot of the legislation around smoking is you know for tobacco, and it's slowly over my lifetime gone from smoke wherever you like essentially like restaurant oh we got a special section for you to smoke in to um you can't even you can't smoke on an open patio at a restaurant no um, it's get the fuck out now it, it bizarre to me right it's a little that part's a little bit bizarre to me so we have this new sort of smoking uh cannabis uh entering the the culture into the the sort of approved zone and it'll be interesting to see how we negotiate. And I think a lot of it is going to be treated like smoking cigarettes. And I actually, I'm not sure if, if that makes sense or not. Maybe it does on one hand. And there's an, always an interesting evolution, I think, when something goes from the contraband section and comes over into the approved area and to see how, you know, people deal with that, uh, both like... Uh, you know, when you saw the prohibition of alcohol and then it come back into the mainstream, uh, you know, right. it changed and it'll, it'll be interesting to witness that ride. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because like, you know, there's there's a conversation for honoring people's space, right? Like, listen, yeah. you know, I'm not a smoker and I don't appreciate, especially if I'm out with my kids or something like that. I don't appreciate sitting next to a table of smokers and no offense if you're a smoker. I just I don't want to participate in your in your habit. Right. So I can I can see the case being made for, you know, creating an environment where if you're there, you're smoking cannabis and otherwise you're not like blowing it in a, in a toddler's face. That's just not, in my humble opinion anyway, acceptable. Right. Um, but, you know, you've got environments in Toronto right now, like the hot box. So in Kensington market, you've been able to, since I was a teenager, so they, you know, they're blazing a trail, uh, no pun intended, but you can roll in Terrible. and you can, you can't buy cannabis there, but you can roll up and you can go to their very chill back patio and, and hang out and rent a dab rig and, and, you know, smoke up. And it's uh it's a really nice environment. It's a little bohemian. And I'm curious to see, you know, in Amsterdam, everything feels a little bit bohemian. I'm curious to see in Canada what that like, what you exactly what you said, that 
little bit of a corporate veneer looks like uh, when it translates into spots where you can smoke your weed. You know, Vegas sure hasn't figured it out. They, there's nowhere you can smoke cannabis there, right? You, you, you buy at the dispensary, and let's face it, most of the folks in Vegas are tourists, right? And, uh, you know, there's nowhere you can legally smoke your cannabis. So you're either hitting up, you know, your, uh, your hotel and, and smoking illegally in the hotel, or you're trying to find a secluded spat spot along the strip where someone's not going to yell at you for sparking up a joint. Yeah, well, Vegas uh, is, yeah. Vegas is a little bit weird in the sense that, uh, they've historically treated, uh, cannabis in the same way they treat heroin or, or, you know, cocaine. They're very serious about it. Um, you know, if you're a tourist, they might give you a, a pass, a little past just because you know they don't want half the country flying back for court dates and they you know they wanted people to come back to vegas but and the police along the strip are on the watch like you, you can't get a there's this like allowed area where you can you can drink anything you want anywhere you want but if you're trying to do anything else um they're gonna cramp crack down on you really hard because they they're kind of protecting the investment that is kind of the lifeblood of their city sure no, you're right. And so now that cannabis is in this, exactly. Like, you know, it, I'll be I'll, looking at it from the other side of the, of the coin. If I own the win, I don't really want a bunch of people standing out front smoking joints. I get that. I understand. Yeah. People are spending a couple hundred dollars American a night to stay there. You know, the property is luxurious and it's, it's catering to business travelers from all over the world and families and whatever. And so I get the not wanting to be Amsterdam, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just like in the absence of... of readily available places in the heart of these legalized environments to go and to just, you know, enjoy yourself and blaze down and not feel paranoid or weird about being on the lookout for security or cops or whatever. It's just, it, it, it really feels disconnected. Doesn't and it like, add though that exciting sense of danger? No, that we all want. <laughs> no, no, that's my least favorite thing. Let's if inject I'm smoking, some paranoia into this. That'll be great. <laughs> it's the damn worst, man. Like, oh, I hate but it. Listen, man, people are buying cannabis and it's not just the locals. I was at Reef to dispensary um just chatting up one of the bud tenders there those guys do like over a hundred thousand dollars a day in sales i i think that that's that's kind of the what i was hearing and i I, it corroborates because there's a lineup out the door all the time um so you got to imagine there's that much money coming in from reef dispensary people rolling around downtown uh they're they're all smoking somewhere you know so it's it's an interesting uh an interesting problem and i'll be a lot happier when we go again that way of amsterdam where there's just a nice place to hunker down and to smoke here's the biggest challenge with amsterdam though and like if you're listening from europe god bless you you guys are lovely people but please stop rolling all your cannabis with tobacco that's that's all they do over there they just oh really dude everything they smoke is spliffs it's all like and not just a little tobacco it's like 70 percent tobacco 30 percent cannabis which to me and again maybe it's just my delicate western sensibility I don't. I want to taste my cannabis. I don't want to taste tobacco and get a little high after. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, and it, it's probably normalized uh, there. But they're two distinct, like they're very separate practices. You know, there's many people that only smoke cigarettes or they only smoke weed, and to mix them together is kind of, for, I think, for some people, kind of strange, right? Yeah, man. I mean, so I bought a pre-roll joint at one of these cafes. <clears throat> 
And they handed it to me and I was like, oh, it's a nice big joint for like six euro or whatever, right? And so I went to sit down and I lit it up and, and took a took a large drag off of it and, and like choked, had that miserable, I mean, listen, I don't love the head rush off of tobacco, you know, very familiar feelings. I used to be a smoker um, and it just oh, made me dizzy and feel a little sick and, you know, the effects of the cannabis were pretty minimal when all was said and done, right? And so, the yeah, the tobacco thing for me doesn't really do it, but I kind of get it. Because, you know, those folks are, are tempering their cannabis a little bit. It's more of a casual experience. They don't really want or super, or I imagine they don't really want a super potent cannabis high. Um, so that's that's how they're rolling it up. It's uh, it's interesting, but not not for me necessarily. And it's kind of a European thing. I, I feel like every every first date in Europe is like, uh, like you go for a bicycle ride, like a cigarette and a bite of chocolate, like, and then you walk <laughs> through the park. Like that's, that's, ro- that's romantic, Dan. Can you take me on a date in Europe? <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I just Aww. a dismayed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. Yup. Oh, uh, but anyway, um, so I was thinking to myself while I was in Amsterdam sitting there playing Pokemon Heart Gold and uh, let me give you my if you go to Amsterdam if you're going at any point in the near future uh, shout out to the greenhouse the greenhouse is my very very favorite spot I tried just about every um, cannabis cafe coffee shop excuse me that I could find my way to uh, while I was wandering around lost and there's this spot just a little bit outside of the red light district um, that has an incredible front of house you've got about eight or nine chairs with a couple tables out front inside it's really bumping and and there's a good vibe and and when you're out front you can look out over the canal Uh, it's just they've got excellent cannabis there they've won a bunch of cannabis cups because i imagine they grow um and it's just boy uh, a really ideal spot so I was sitting on the front patio of the greenhouse, which was like my home base for most most days when I was there, playing a little bit of Heart Gold and thinking to myself, Dan, maybe I can get your take on this. What are the best games to take on a road trip? Because I was vibing out hard on Heart Gold. And when I went to Vegas, I had picked up a new title, which I'll talk about next episode. But I just I couldn't get into it. I was like, that was too much in transit, having a, a hard time digesting a new game but this this slipping into heart gold was like putting on an old pair of pants you know really comfortable and uh along with you know my cannabis tourism really made pulling out a game whenever i wanted to play it enjoyable what about yourself you think are you in the same boat as me like a classic title or are you are you going fresh game on a fresh trip uh, i think i think for me i like to it's one of this the singular times i like to pull out a puzzle game you know something that the gameplay loop is really tight you know tetris or something in that in that vein like a puzzle quest oh. something that's got like a tight gameplay loop there's some really good rpgs on that are basically puzzle games i think puzzle quest is is the one i'm thinking of but the combat yeah has a puzzly aspect you're you're stringing together combos and getting gear but it kind of pulls you into that um you know uh sedation of the gameplay loop and sort of helps time accelerate right i feel like if i'm learning something new i get that hyper focus and i'm pulling in new information sort of elongates that trip um you know i'm actually playing um rim world right now and that thing is a genius for soaking up 10 hours watching all my colonists run around and do my bidding and and uh you know uh, improve our chances of surviving a, a harsh rim world that's something that really helps sort of suck the time and uh, and get me to my destination. 
Right. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like jumping into a new game when I'm traveling, and I, you know, this is the thing. When you're traveling, you very rarely, even if you're on a plane. You know, you often think of a plane as being an unbroken period of time where you can settle into something, whether it be a new book or a new game or whatever. But there's just there's so many small little micro things that break up that journey, whether it be, you know, boarding the plane and, and you know, getting in the air and your your bathroom break and, you know, they come around with the drinks and you want to get a little bit of sleep or you're resting or whatever. It very rarely feels like a time where I'm inspired to pull out a game and and jump into it with both feet. One of my favorites, based on your your puzzle kind of conversation there, one of my favorite games to play when traveling was Luminez. Have you ever played Luminez? No, I haven't heard of a Luminez. It sounds Luminez. like a lighting company. It does sound like a lighting company. It's um, So Luminez is, uh, is a game that came out for PSP originally. I uh, had it for PSP. Blew my mind. I think I spent almost every day uh, in university <laughs> playing Luminez in some form of transit, whether it be on the subway or the train. But um, Luminez is actually out for iOS now. And I think it's coming out for PS4 and Switch. I, 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 I don't recall. There was an announcement a little while ago. But... Um, it's it's like basically a Tetris like game with just the most bumping techno soundtrack of your entire life. It's just nice. so good. It's so you know you you just get into this game and you vibe so hard. Especially if you've you know uh, consumed yourself a little cannabis beforehand. It's probably one of my top five games to play after smoking. It's it's incredible. You should try it yourself and you can get it on iOS. I think it's like three bucks or something like that. Totally worth it. Luminous. L U M I N E S. I'll have to check it out. Are they a sponsor this week? They are not. They are not. But I could tell you a little bit about some of our real sponsors, our real fake sponsors. Our very uh, real fake sponsors. Very real fake sponsors. This episode of Purple Dungeon Squid, in fact, is brought to you by Dan. Do you know who it's brought to us by, friend? Oh, I think it's brought to us by Cannabis and Vigimo Games. Um, the Marahuchi and the Super Mario. Yes, indeed. Cannabis and video games. Thank you for being there for us, friends. Uh, also brought to you by showing up to the party two hours early. Because maybe you want to see the host take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe you do. It depends on who the host is. Uh, brought to you by forgetting how to spell the word who. Problem is, you can't sound it out. Just try. Ooh, can't be done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what gave me more brain damage. That or that. Uh, flame eliminating asbestos. Ah, sweet asbestos, the new construction material that everyone will love. Do you need fire and to breathe? You can only pick one. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, brought to you by Routers Riddled with Russian Malware. His best router ever, bro, but just don't reboot. You don't reboot router, we're all good here. We are sending uh, your packets here, there. Don't worry about it. I like it. And finally, brought to you by never admitting you're wrong. Getting divorced means never having to admit you're wrong. <laughs> Jesus. If you want to actually sponsor the show, feel free to email us at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Until then, you'll have to put up with all of this nonsense. I'll never stop. Ah, uh, Dan? That's me. I'm Dan. Yeah, that's you. You're Dan. I Dan. am me. Dan? Dan? Dan. Me. Dan! Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Dude, uh, it's time to get back into the 20 games that made us gamers. And last week, or <laughs> last week, Eric, last week, last week, a little while, a short time ago. <laughs> Sometimes time ago. when you go to Amsterdam, three weeks yeah. turns into one. 
Bobrovsky. Yeah, listen. Uh, back on episode 20, we started off this list of the 20 games that made us gamers. Our top 10 games that got us into gaming each, right? Yeah. Um, and somehow we, we, we underestimated the amount that we could each talk about those 10 games. A so, classic um, mistake. We call that that mistake that we make every episode. Yeah, we call that the classic Andy and Dan pontificating uh but yeah so i mean we've got a couple titles left i want to i want to square those away because they are indeed the most important ones in fact i think we each have three left to talk about is that correct yes i have appended 16 more and it appears the one that i really missed was um the tandy 1000 version of wheel of fortune i really should have included that i got pajama sam on this list i got bubsy in there we got lots of stuff lots of stuff shout out to anybody who knows what oh what the hell's the name of that game Nope, lost it. Something about haven't America. smoked yet. This is pre-smoke mm, session, everybody. Pre-smoke session. Yes. <laughs> what sir. am I yes, talking sir. about? <laughs> Ooh, girl. Ooh, girl. Nope. So, Dan, we each got three left to talk about. I'm gonna yeah. go first because I'm inconsiderate that way. I love that. Jump in. <laughs> so, my number three game, the number three game that made me a gamer was World of Warcraft. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Dan, uh, I can hear your eyebrows raising and your throat closing. It's. I mean, how much shade can I throw at this game? It's a great game. Uh, I yeah, I feel like I'm yeah. I mean, listen, World of Warcraft is an obvious one. Why? Because at one point, more people were playing World of Warcraft than the population of Greece. Uh, the only game that I know of uh, in the massively multiplayer online world to have, uh, I think, thirteen million players, which is just fucking crazy. Can we agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, WoW stood up and said. And looked at its compatriots, the EverQuest, the RuneScapes, and says, I like what you're doing, but what if we made this fun? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what if, what, if we, what if we made this more fun? Let me quantify that. More fun than punishing. What would that be yes. like? Yeah, they, they went from, from like, to be fair, early WoW was still very punishing. But, you know, in recent years, it's gotten farther and further in the direction of fun. And, you know, to, to various opinions, you're never going to please everybody. Uh, in my humble opinion, though, they've done a pretty darn good job of, of keeping a, what's now, what, a, a 13-year-old, 14, almost 14-year-old game going strong, which is mind-blowing, of course. Um you know, when I first picked up WoW, I had played quite a few MMOs, but MMOs back then were pretty much EverQuest and all of the other horribly broken, really genuinely terrible niche titles out there. Um, they would say nuanced. Nuanced, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Those were the ones for some reason that I elected to play as opposed to EverQuest. So I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking at that point. But everything from Star Wars Galaxies to Ultima Online, which was pretty good, but eh, to some of the more kind of obscure titles, Ragnarok Online gets a shout out. It was like a 2D isometric anime game. Very strange. Um, uh, Ashen Empires. There was like 18 people that played that game. I was a diehard on that server. It was basically an Ultima Online ripoff. So you know that that was a thing. RuneScape, of course. You know which uh, which lots of folks are still playing these days. Um, but when WoW came out, it was like a seismic shift in the direction of a world being built online. Right? It was. First of all, the graphics blew your mind. It felt next gen in 2004, and actually today it still looks great. What a what a gap they they bridged there. How does a game look somehow sharp but simple across a 10-year gap? It, it, honestly brilliant. I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, 
with a visual with a cartoon style visual medium you know you can look back at animation from that era from the early 2000s now and it's still watchable hell you can look back at anime from the 80s like an Akira or something like that still very much watchable right and so I don't know why WoW is really or was really the only uh, 3D online game that went in that direction it seems so obvious at this point Um, but they went in the direction of still very stylistically cool but ultimately quite cartoony graphics and it got that was such a winning recipe for them because although everything felt a little over the top you know big shoulder pads if you've ever seen iconic kind of wow characters everybody's got shoulders bigger than their head right it's a big thing um weapons that are massive you know faces that are kind of caricatures even the environments are all hypersized almost dreamscapey kind of um uh, you know, uh, cartoons. And at the same time, it still managed to strike a really serious tone. It was a pretty darn good execution. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And like, let's, let's not kid around. It's not high res. It doesn't have astounding textures, but there's a kind of uniformity, you know, in games sometimes where the main character has nine times the polygons of everything else. And it kind of stands out. Well, I guess one of the things you solve for when there's going to be like a, you know, 50 main characters, quote unquote, on the screen at any given time, you go, okay, we're going to actually have to make these characters polygonally, polygonally, texturally, um, sort of uh, uniform. Everybody's got to get the same treatment. So that cartoon style really um, speaks to that. And I know for a fact they've been gently turning up the fidelity and the graphics, but while keeping it simple, it doesn't feel like they've changed the game. You know, even as they're adding things. So it has that nostalgic feel without, you know, really feeling like it's fallen behind. It's kind of like it's kind of like photographs on a digital or sorry, a digital phone, obviously a digital phone. But it's kind of like photographs on a on a smartphone. You know, back in 2004, when I was taking photographs with my iPhone 4, it felt like I was taking high fidelity photographs. And on my iPhone 8, I can take way better photos by comparison but it still feels to the same level of quality and that's the same thing with wow back then the graphics felt next gen felt amazing felt extremely gratifying to look at today if i go back just like looking at those old iphone 4 photos and look really closely at the old wow textures yeah there's 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 definitely some rough edges around that shit and they've done a whole lot since then in terms of refining and optimizing the graphics but these days i get the same (laughs) level of quality the same feeling from looking at that game which is big because you spend a lot of time in that world, right? Blizzard has an uncanny ability to make a vibe happen. Every one of their zones, and I think this is one of the other things that they do really well, game environments can often feel too vanilla or or bland. You know, if you jump if you've jumped into even like a Dragon Age, Dragon Age 2 specifically, but um or many frankly fantasy RPGs, the zones often don't feel super distinctive. Have you ever felt that before? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, there can be some uniformity. It's just some generic fantasy stuff going on, right? You know, you walk in and you're like, okay, this is the forest spot, and this is the mountainous region, and this is the plains zone. And for some reason, when WoW, when Blizzard puts together an environment in World of Warcraft, it always has 
a couple elements that elevate it up from traditional fantasy. There's a couple distinctive features that make you remember that zone and give it its own flavor. I mean, shit, at this point, they're whatever, seven, eight expansions in. There's been a lot of forests, Dan. They've, they've, made, a lot of, they've made a lot of woods, and they all feel different. And that's, that's a unique skill. So it's a, it, yeah. I mean, wow, wow on, the, on the vibe front, on the creating a digital world that you want to spend time in from a graphics perspective and from a design perspective, absolutely nailed it. And you stopped playing back in Burning Crusade, I think, right? Or Wrath of the Lich King? Yeah, I, I played a little bit of Wrath. Right. It's only gotten better since then. Um, I won't say too much more about World of Warcraft because it's something that I've talked about extensively before. I mean, listen, you know, if you're a gamer, you've likely at least dabbled into it. Um, but man, I mean, I just I have so many memories. And I think a lot of people of like our age who are were into games have have memories of wow i think it's it's i can probably make that general statement because it was such a is such a popular game you know playing on a local area connection in high school with a bunch of dudes um huddled around computers at three o'clock in the morning i don't think was a unique you know was a unique uh experience for me right um hitting the bong raiding some some dungeons doing some whatever it, it was uh, it was a thing so wow was a lifestyle game that kind of transcended being just a video game i played it was it was something i did for a long time so wow you get my number three hats off blizzard you're still killing it with that one if only you get a paycheck you know what i mean because you're doing That's a great the job there's work happening but uh geez they just won't cut a check <laughs> They just, unfortunately, will not cut you a check. In fact, they demand that $18 American a month, which stings when you're Canadian. Come on now. Um, Ouch. Ouch. Yes. Yes, sir. How about you, Dan? Where are you at? Well, Andy, coming in at number three uh, is a classic for me, and I'm going to encompass a whole series, uh, which is, I know, cheating, but, you know, I have to give it to uh, Metal Gear Solid. Uh, Uh, Yes. Metal Gear was my number six, so we're we're both on the same list on that one. Ooh, so I mean, so this is one of the the, the places that our worlds collide. Metal the Gear, only place. step the only place. Metal Gear <laughs> stepped to you, and it, it and it was at a time where there wasn't a lot of previewing of video games. I did see it in one of my ma- my magazines that came to me, and I'm talking about Metal Gear Solid for the PlayStation One, and it stepped to you with this kind of cinematic stealth sort of espionage cinema feel like you start with this voiceover of you know uh, yet to be introduced characters the the colonel and and snake and you're doing this insertion from a mini submarine into the shadow moses complex while uh the colonel explains the mission and the dangers and you get that the first sort of thrum of uh david Hayter's voice where he's like what kind of things are we going up against here? And eventually, like the whole, to me, the whole first part of the game is uh, leading up to about two thirds of the way in when uh, Snake says, Metal Gear. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Just, That's the minute. It's, it's all leading up to that. But, you know, it was one of those games that from the very second you control Snake, I felt like every movement, every action had to be so considered and precise. Totally. I wanted to. I felt the weight of the, of what Snake was up to immediately, and for the PlayStation One, it had an, a hyper realistic feel. Now the je- jelly, the shine has come off that apple a little bit. Looking back, um, actually, they've recently done a remaster, um, but you know, at the time, 
it, to me, it just looked amazing. And uh, choking my first guard unconscious, I just had, I got a shot of dopamine that was so palpable, I can still feel it today. I know, man. I think most of the chest hair that you have came from that very moment. Yeah, and you know what? It, there, how do you get a man as badass as as Snake? Um, you know, the way it works is they put together three guys. They took the spirit of Kurt Russell. They took the body of Jean Claude Jean Claude Van Damme, and the character ridden face of Christopher Walken, and they pushed them all together. It's amazing. Uh, a little Chuck Norris in there too. Let's be let's be real. Where do you see the Chuck Norris? Uh, maybe not. Chuck, I mean, I, I don't know Chuck mm. Norris. I, I, mm. Okay, whatever. Fine. Mm. I'll step back off that one. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I want you know, you know, my tendency is to agree to you, but I'm gonna have to slap that down, and I'm gonna fire. I'm gonna have to fire two silence rounds into the back of its head. Um. So you know I what? Just, came? I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. Are you gonna defend really it come, now? Really You're going wanna, back to I really want to come in. I want to do a Texas Ranger thing, but it's not. It's not coming to me. So you know, mea culpa. All you. F- funky Walker, Dirty Talker, Texas Ranger. Hmm. Chuck Norris. Um. You know. So the ga- the game continued along this path, and it delivered this movie type experience in a video game form. Um. There was credits rolling. Um. You know, all through the first part, uh, you know, when Snake gets on the elevator and has sort of penetrated uh, the first area, uh, you know, you're still getting these cinematic shots and, and these credits like you're playing a movie. The voiceover is still happening. Dude, you can't and, under you can't understate that. Like this was no. PlayStation one, man. Like this was yeah. not a thing. This, it wasn't this. This felt like watching the best spy slash action flick you've ever watched in your life, except you were playing it. It it rocked my world to the point where I didn't own a PS1. I literally begged my parents on a weekly basis to rent me a PSX and Metal Gear Solid. We probably could have bought like six PSXs by the time I was done because that's a four-disc game. Rent me that system and the game playing nonstop through the weekend to try and beat it. It was incredible. Exactly. Never had someone, it felt like, had enough of a vision to bring a story like this that is both grounded in, like, 80s action movies. There's a nuclear threat. We know that. There are some serious bad guys. It's um, a military unit gone rogue, the Foxhound unit. It's got everything that a a badass 80s movie is. But then put to, you know, our favorite format... And, and just given this beautiful taste of Japanese ridiculousness, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the way of, you know, giant men with huge chain guns and, you know, these ridiculous boss showdowns. Uh, but it was the first really foray into a game that, that felt like this. And you can yeah. tell the care that got put into these levels. So the game developers were really uh, putting together 3D environments in a way that hadn't been done before. So to get out of their heads and you know, off the computer screen, they went ahead and built a lot of these levels with Lego first. Oh, really? And I didn't then, know that. Yeah, just to get a really good idea of how the environment would sort of look and feel in a 3D space. Um, and it really shows that every, I can you know remember now the the different designs of the different spaces, whether it be uh, you know the harbor where you land or the ma- main courtyard uh, where the tank and uh, are and you know because it, it, it's so important positionally where you are to the bad guys. It's a stealth game. You're tracking guys through the snow, following their their footprints. You're avoiding cameras. So you know the space is very important. 
Yeah, no, you're. I mean, listen, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to the space. My 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 young adolescent self was paying more attention to like pixelated naked Meryl. If you, mm-hmm, <laughs> I mean, the pantsless listen, man, Meryl. Pantsless Meryl was a thing for every boy of that generation. Let me tell you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you weren't a you know whatever 11 year old, 12 year old boy when Metal Gear Solid was a thing. It's a weird thing they draw attention to because the way that Snake recognized Meryl when she's in a full soldier outfit with a balaclava on is he recognizes her cute booty shake when she runs. The old butt waggle. How's that for a little misogyny? (laughs) uh, Well, I mean, listen, it's not not true, you know. And how did they render a cute booty wiggle in... Uh, this game, it's it's beyond me. Now, a little bit of an it, Easter egg. It, it's for- a little bit of tech. It's a little bit of technological wizardry, especially because you're generally looking for the booty waggle while you're inside of a cardboard box. Mm-hmm. That's the move. Mm-hmm. You're 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 following these soldiers around the perimeter of the room, trying to figure out which one is Meryl, and you're in a cardboard box. It's it's true. So as you're going through the first ventilation shaft in the game, you're going to see the DARPA chief, Colin Anderson. If that's actually correct, I'm blowing my subway but let's say it's colin anderson and then in the next room you see meryl in a jail cell and if and you know she's doing some exercises pretty cool little easter egg but if you crawl out of the shaft and then crawl back in you'll be seeing her doing a different exercise now if you do this four times she'll be uh doing a uh exercise routine uh pantsless um so Dude, you get another, come on uh, this, this is the seriously that's a real that's a real easter egg real deal real deal Dude. I mean, listen, I was a pretty creepy kid. <laughs> I think we all were. That, that's next level oh, no. creepy. This is well, like, like borderline beginning of the internet times. The fact mm-hmm. that you went there is incredible to me. Now, now I mean, listen, really following thing- a woman around in a cardboard box to determine yeah. if she is indeed a woman isn't creepy enough. That's, that's the creepy king moment right there. You know, Andy, it all has a tactical purpose. That's what we need to remember. Now, in the original uh, yes. um, screenplay, and that's only the fair way to call it, of this game... The, the vibe they were going for originally was like the professional um, vibe, like uh, Leon. Did you see this movie? Leon the Professional? No clue what you're talking about. It's one of Natalie Portman's first films, and um, she ends up um, under the care of a hitman because I think she's orphaned. Anyway, um, she's in that film, she's 12, and in this film, Meryl was going to be 12. Um and what? they actually, yep, they aged her no. up, not because being 12 was creepy, but because they felt like the weapon they wanted to give her, the Desert Eagle, wouldn't, couldn't possibly be wielded by a 12-year-old girl. I just, this, I mean, I, boy, there was some innocent perversion with my fascination with this game. Do we really have to make it like a, like a creepy, like a real creepy thing? Uh, I mean, there's that element is there. Like the, this game, and it should be. Uh, we'll move on, but it should be mentioned that one of the things that makes Metal Gear the Metal Gear is its boss fights. Uh, has these diverse, uh, groundbreaking in many cases boss fights, and one of the first bosses you come up against is Psycho Mantis. Oh and man! The whole dynamic there of him reading your mind. He first tells you. Uh, he reads what kind of man you are, and, and what he's actually doing is looking at the stats of what you've done so far in the game. So I remember in the first playthrough, I hadn't killed anyone, and I had not not fallen into any traps. So he talks about how you're a careful man who's afraid um, to take people's lives, and then he said something about um, a Capcom game, or yeah, not a Cap. Yeah, I feel like something about Street Fighter, but that doesn't make sense. Anyway, if you have on your memory card. 
games that he's detected to read, and you'd think they'd be mostly um, Kojima games. What? What is that? Capcom? No, I'm Kon- also Kon- I'm, Konami, Konami. 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 Thank you so much, my brain. Anyway, uh, he tell he'll talk about those games, and that in that moment it was it just took. It took me off guard. I'm like, what is happening right now? Yeah, man, he gets really meta. And Psycho Manus is like, you know, you don't, there's not that many moments in video gaming where I was, where I can distinctly remember just being flummoxed. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, genuinely, I remember I was at the cottage playing this one again, one of those many weekends where. I, don't, I think I had to go up to the cottage with dad to fix the pump or something, right? One of those one of those quasi chore weekends, you know, when you're yep. whatever twelve and it sucks. Uh, and so, you know, my my piece of the negotiation was we're renting a PSX and I'm taking Metal Gear Solid. And I remember late at night playing uh, and, and reaching Psycho Manus and getting murked so many times because, of course, he's reading your you know your inputs on the controller as quickly as you can put you can you can do it. Uh, and you know, if there's at this point, very common knowledge. You you unplug it from controller port one, and you plug into controller port two, and he can no longer read your movements, right? And it creates uh, a fight that's much easier to, to defeat. And it's this like moment of meta that is just so fitting in this Metal Gear Solid game because it's just one other dimension that you get ripped out of uh, in these boss fights, which all are exactly as you said, very distinct from Revolver Ocelot, which is you know kind of a, a cat and mouse game to um, I think it's Raven, the guy in the tank, Vulcan uh, Raven. That's right, Vulcan Raven. Yeah, you've got like a little bit of accuracy with a grenade going on. It's just just really cool. Ser- and then Sniper Wolf. That's a cool one. It's a sniper battle where you're popping pills, lorazepam or diazepam or something, to steady yourself. And so it's almost this this reverse timer where you got to pop a pill, drop down, and then get your scope aimed and uh, do so in enough time to get off a shot before the drugs wear off and you can no longer aim steadily. Right? It's it's quite quite the series of iconic boss fights. And I just for for from from what I'm worth. I cannot think of another game that does it with as much style as Metal Gear Solid. And you, you're right on the money. And in the whole uh, catalog of Metal Gear games, they inject such a feeling of emotionality. That sniper wolf battle first, you know, it's your feelings about, you know, spoilers, uh, Meryl being shot and, and kept out as bait. Um, you know, there's the feeling of after you kill sniper wolf because... Otacon, your your IT buddy, support that you find through the game, loves her. He's fallen in love with her. Uh, and right. at the same time, the game just fil- like uh, filters in all these topics that are so uh, nuanced and 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 hi- like uh, heady. They talk about nuclear pro- proliferation. They talk about you know the idea of being loyal to a country and what that means and how countries abandon their soldiers and what it means to be a warrior and what love means and genetic uh, testing and cloning. There's no end to these very deep topics that are yeah. tackled in a really thoughtful way way in these games. Yeah, it's pretty next level. And I don't know if it feels so next level because I played it when I was quite young. Um, but for sure, you come away from defeat from beating that game with like a different worldview. <laughs> just, right. It's, it's quite the thing. And, and I, again, I just I can't think back to another game that has left me with such an interesting impression. When I played Metal Gear Solid 2 uh, Sons of Liberty, um, I had a similar feeling. It just it wasn't as potent as the original. But, you know, all these games just kind of make you sit there and think. And you feel like 
not just that you've bested a game, which I can draw a direct line to something like, oh, I don't know, Splinter Cell. I've got a real hard-on for hate for Sam Fisher. I don't know what it was. Didn't love that guy. Um, but that game felt like a series of environmental challenges with a little bit of a whatever pseudo-spy plot overlaid. Metal Gear Solid, the, the OG spy sim, felt like it was in a totally different ballpark. The the way that the story was presented, what you were doing in that game, yeah, the mechanics were cool, but you know, the the actual subject matter that was being tackled was more than just grabbing a bunch of spy buzzwords and terrorist stuff and jamming it into a game. It was way more thoughtful, you know? Yes. And I, as a series, the game takes all these chances, that series, I mean, really big chances. You, you start with PSX playing as a solid snake, and then in Metal Gear 2, you start on, on uh, the tanker Rider. playing as Metal as solid snake. But then when you get to the big shell, suddenly for the, you know, most of the rest of the game, 80% of the game, one could argue, you're now playing as Raiden. And mm-hmm. to... To flip up who the main character is of your hugely anticipated sequel, that takes some real balls. It's ballsy and it works, really works, man. It's a it's a great game. And I, you know, I, I'd be honest with you, I haven't played any of the ones post Metal Gear Solid Two. I don't know why. Um, just just haven't haven't sat down with them. But from my understanding, you're you're switching up main characters and and conventions and gameplay loops for most of those the rest of that series. I mean, you, after. Um, Number two, you'd go back to mostly in the seat of uh, Solid Snake or some version of him. You playing? That's as, what I mean. Uh, yeah, you're playing as Big, big Boss or, or Big Stop Boss. This. Yeah, excuse me. Stop this. Big Daddy. Uh, big Daddy. Oh my God! I wish you wouldn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, it even teases you. Like at the beginning of Metal Gear Solid Four, I believe they choreograph as if you're there. You're going to have to take. Um, the driver's seat of another character again and you know he kind of fakes you out and he goes no you're gonna get to be big boss and i'm like okay great but like they play with they play with your mind and many parts you know metal gear solid 2 really comes off the rails son of sons of liberty when you know suddenly the colonel you're talking to the whole time from the first game is actually an ai called arsenal gear and You know, every president of the United States states is part of a secret organization called, wait for it, the Lali Lule Lo. And you're just like, it does get really, it I, is, a, I it is say acid it, trippy. Really <laughs> Japanese. And it, it, it promises oh. to break your. That's not a, that's not a slight. I like, I like the Japanese aesthetic that's like, we're going to take everything and flip it on its ear with sure. no regard if you're going to be able to follow. Cause there's like 30 straight minutes where I was just, what the fucking for 30. So I'm like, what, what the. What most of the what, end of that? that game is what the fuck, and it's like also two hours of cutscenes. It's just, it's yeah. Anyway, not to not to go too deep on on all of the Metal Gear Solid series, but um, I think we can agree that the the inaugural title it wasn't the inaugural title. There was obviously the Super Nintendo versions prior or whatever, but the clearly PSX, a rebirth though. Sure, definitely, totally new, totally new veneer, um, and a game that just boy stuck with me to this day. So Metal Gear Solid uh, it was your number your number three, my number six. But I think we can just based on our conversation here both agree that it's pretty much uh, one of the most, if not the most, epic titles on these lists. Tip top, tip top, bibbidi bop. What do you think, uh, Denny? We have two uh, two titles left each, and a little bit of smoke on. What do you think? Yeah, let's uh, rip up some of these flowers we got here and uh, get them into our lungs via vaporization or incineration. Yeah, I think uh, jumping into the top two for each of us uh, means we need a little bit of cannabis to temper temper the excitement. <laughs> Let's get into it. Where to your moms? 
Uh, Daniel, 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 buddy. It's so funny how how deep and passionate we can get about <laughs> about game titles. You know, um, I mean, these ones are these ones are specifically quite personal, but it's 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 humorous to hear the amount the amount of excitement we can we can muster over a fifteen year old game, twenty year old game, almost. Good to know, and we get these requests all the time to review more classic games. And from going down this list that we thought would take one podcast and is broken up into a stiff two, like, I had 97 more things to say about Metal Gear. And I'm sure people would want to hear at least 20 of them. So we may have to, like, circle back and do some deeper reviews on this. We'll, we'll, have, to, we'll have to feel it out. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Um, my dude, I think it's just about time that we settle into some smoke sash. It's quite late in the day, and I need a little mm-hmm. need a little pick me up. So I got myself some super lemon haze. How about yourself? Now that's the final form of lemon haze. Is that like after it's ascended? That's its. That's its. Uh, yes, that's its ascended form. It's super saiyan form. I love this. Um, I am messing around with some cherry pie today. Cherry pie. Ooh. Cherry uh, pie. Oh my. Uh, that was my least favorite song on the original Guitar Hero. She's my cherry pie. I hated playing that so much. You know what? It's like one of those songs that I think is exclusively played at strip clubs and nowhere else. Really? I, I, it's just, I don't know. Like, it's like pour some sugar on me, cherry pie, like cat scratch fever. I mean, just every movie scene in my brain that features um, exotic dancers, respectfully, it's... It's, you know, those three songs. (laughs) It's funny, man. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine ever wanting to, like, on a normal day, listen to Cherry Pie. It's a terrible song. It's on my wake-up mix. I'm, you know, making up a shake and listening to Cherry Pie. Let's, yeah, I mean, listen, there's someone out there that does that. He has a mullet. He's got a hoop earring, just one, uh, and his name is Stan. God bless you, Stan. Yeah, God Um, bless it. Let us not yuck on your yum. Cherry pie is for somebody. Cherry pie is for somebody out there, Stan specifically, uh, not many others. Um, (laughs) But how many plastic guitars, just, I think this is the the, barometer for uh, gaming through the ages. How many plastic guitars do you have laying around, Dan? Uh, Zero. Excuse me? However... However, if you were to um, go deeply into the basement of one of my parental figures, you could probably suss one out. Uh, yeah, I have six, just so we're clear. I have Jesus. six. Uh, rock Band 1, Rock Band 2, Rock Band Beatles, Guitar Hero 1, and 2. Yeah, it was just too many, too many guitars. At so some guitars. point, you actually had, like, um, Gary, your guitar tech. He's like, I got this one ready for you. It's tuned up to G. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. Two. <laughs> well, I mean, the levers would break so often, right? Because you're just punishing these plastic guitars. Jamming too hard. So it's, especially the early models, like you'd get a loose lever and then, then you're just in trouble. Now you got to, instead of strumming your lever, now you're like holding it with your finger. It's real bad. You're pinching it gently. Not a good scene. Not a good scene. Um, I, I just, I feel like someday I'm going to want to pull Guitar Hero out of retirement, but it just never happens. You know, just just never an occasion where I'm I'm fully committed to doing so. You know, we, in my household, only did a little bit of Guitar Hero where really hit the muster was Rock Band. Like sure. the full three-piece, uh, everybody on deck Rock Band. And, and it, it was quite an experience. There, there was nothing like it really before, um, you know, so uh, singularly fun with the, the siblings. Yeah, man. I mean, we had some cousins come down and we were slamming on the, slamming on the old pigskins, playing some Rock Band and keeping my in-laws up for like most of the night it was uh it's a it's a a memory i'll cherish and um unfortunately some plastic equipment that i'll probably never throw away (laughs) 
<laughs> well, uh, RIP to my basement. Am I right? Yeah, true. No kidding. Cherry pie. Tell me all about it. Well, this, this is actually one of my reserve stashes. I I'm like running out and running low on uh, my stuff from broken coast and coming back to uh, dispensary weed. I feel like I, I feel like unclean and it's, I'm, I'm, I've jumped ship so badly because they've treated me so well for so long. And then I'm Dude. just throwing them so much shade. Oh, broke. So broken coast. Uh, I was at Lyft Cannabis Expo here in Toronto a couple days ago, and I stopped by the Broken Coast booth just to tell those dudes how amazing their cannabis is. They do the right job. I got a free t-shirt, so that helped too. But yep. just looking at all, taking a look at all their strains, they've got two new ones that are coming out. Um, I can't remember the names of them, but just- La Chocolate? Uh, no, that's an older one. In fact, oh, I want to try. Yeah, L.A. Chocolate. Um, I really is it L.A. Chocolate? I took it as yeah. like a French Johnny Depp La thing, chocolate. like La, La Chocolate. Yes. Well, that does say a lot about you, doesn't it? Um, but no, it's L.A. Confidential mixed with chocolate something or other. One strain that has chocolate in the name of it, uh, and I definitely want to try that one. Uh, yeah, and you know, like so the quality of what they send is is so amazing um in contrast this cherry pie is um has been compressed like someone stepped on it um that was you in know, ted's it, back pocket for most of the day yeah it comes in, sweat a, in there comes in a ziploc bag um and it's a nice ziploc bag actually a pretty good quality one it looks like it's been like custom cut with uh, some heat um heat sealers which which makes it nice it is kind of high quality in that sense and this guy's uh this guy's pretty good for being sort of sit in sit in the back of the drawer for a while. We got some light caramelly hairs and a light dusting of um, crystal across the fella. The stem's thicker than I'd like, and what's weird is I break it apart. There's like a, a little bit of a coffee smell, which is oh, odd. hmm. I mean, I like that, I generally like anytime I hit a coffee note in cannabis, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, no kidding. And as I nose up to it. You get a little bit of that berry, a little bit of that sweetness, and like a strong greenery smell. Like just, it's like earthy, which is not what I was expecting. But beneath that that berry, there's like a strong and and I gotta give it to cherry pie on this one. Satisfying earthy scent on it, very kind of grounding. You know what I mean? Mm. Gets up in you. It does, whether you'd like it to or not. So I'm going to go ahead and gr uh, uh, grind up a sample here. Now, while I grind, can you give me a little hint on to the potency of this uh, this bad bonanza? Ooh, I would love to, but I don't really want to. <laughs> I think you're just going to have to experience it for yourself, my good dude. Now, taking a look, um, cherry pie, uh, da -da -da test data, uh, generally 13 to 23% THC. So that's not giving you too much of an information. It, it seems that's to be quite a spread. <laughs> that's a decent spread. Yeah. I mean, I, I would guess if I were to, if I were a betting man, I'd guess that this was probably on the lower end of the spectrum. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's necessarily, uh, the high rollers piece. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do digress. It could be, could be something, could be something potent. I'm not sure. Uh, Andy, how long have you been suffering from digression? How long have I been suffering from what? Digression. Uh, I've been digressing for most of my adult life. Mm -hmm. Is it tough? Is it hard on you, hard on the fam? Listen, digression is a real condition, and uh, you shouldn't be so flippant about it lest you find yourself digressing in your own way. No? No? <laughs> Taking it in stride? 
Taking it all the way in stride. Okay, um, perfect. Yeah, there you go. Why don't I jump into my own thing here? How about that? How about I, we stop do. talking nonsense? Yeah. I mean, we never will, but... No. Uh, okay, so I got some Super Lemon Haze here, and as you might imagine, it is a little yellowy, <laughs> which is... How? Oh. It, th- it always throws me off a little bit, but I, I don't know. I find these, these, um, these lemon strains often just are a little bit paler in, in green. Like you got, you got a greeny light greeny exterior and just a little bit of a shimmer of yellow. And until I know it's lemon, I'm always a little concerned that maybe I've just bought some super bunk weed, but this is not bunk weed having a little, having a little smell here and it is smelling. Ooh, rather delightful. Um, there is some, I mean, listen, it's hard to say anything other than it smells like freaking lemons, man. It's mm, like, I'm, like, 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 I'm, like you're pledging up the living room. Yeah, man. Like I'm, it, dude, you're, <laughs> that's a very apt description. It's like, I'm pledging up some fine mahogany furniture. <laughs> that's what we're dealing with. here. Wiping it down to a dangerous sheen, dangerous sheen, just in time to impress your mother-in-law. Um, Mm, yeah, and I, I honestly can't stop myself from continuing to snifter at this thing. It is quite a delicious element. Um, looking on the inside, I've got some beautiful, uh, da, 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 some brownie-ish hairs, uh, some brownie-ish hairs, and cracking it open a little bit drier than I would want. Um, I typically, yeah, I've said it before, I like my my weed a little fudgier. But actually, in this instance, this this nice obvious sativa uh, has has some firm, denser buds. Not quite as fudgy, but there's a lot of crystal on the inside. Nice dusting there. I'm feeling pretty good about it, Dan. I'm feeling like this is going to be a nice ride. Hmm, sounds great. Once you once you hop into that. And okay. uh, and I'll tell us a little bit about that super lemon haze. Oh yes, please. And I think I'll be doing it today for once as Jeremy Irons. For once. What is super lemon haze? A sativa dominant hybrid of lemon skunk and super silver haze. A two Ooh. dime oh a two time cannabis cup winner from greenhouse seeds. Two time. Super Lemon Haze is a keef caked multicolored wonder. As the name states, this strain oh, is a real lemony characteristics. The smell is zesty, citrusy, and a little sweet. As for oh. the taste, it's everything one would expect from the namesake. Tart and sweet, like lemon heads candy. Not quite as sharp as one might expect. These effects are uniquely energetic and lively may not be the best strain for those of us who are naturally wound up tight. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, shit. I've, I've gone and committed the cardinal sin of smoking uh, some anxiety slash um, insanity-inducing cannabis. But, yeah, no, this, oh, man, the, the tartness cannot be understated. There is, like, I feel like I threw a warhead in the back of my throat. Uh-oh. Oh, Uh-oh. it's quite, but, like, it's nice to have that pronounced a note of flavor in a cannabis strain, you know? Yeah, like this, absolutely. This is, there's no freaking doubt I've got some super lemon haze in my mouth. That is, that is a no-doubter, as they say in the old football world. <laughs> uh, they're always saying that. And that, uh, that review is they brought to things. us by uh, Leafly. And yes. uh, you, you called it, man. It's lemon. It's citrus. It's earthy. And right beneath that, it says uh, lemon warhead alert right into the back of your throat. Oh really? No, no, not at all. Oh, okay, gotcha. Right, yeah, no, it's right. uh, it's woo, and you know what? Um, the word is alacrity. 
alacrity. The word is alacrity. I I I remember the word. I don't know what it means, but that's what I'm feeling. It 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 means like a clearness of the head. And the only reason that Alacrity comes into my space is because when I was playing EverQuest, one of the buffs you could get was, as I read it at the time, a clarity. A clarity, <laughs> and, yes. And it, it, it just gives you, it gives you like a mind uh, bonus to like spellcasting or what have you. Somebody else is yelling at me the exact, you get four more ticks of mana per, 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 per zone. Interesting. I have no idea. I'm sorry. But it, it makes your spellcasting gooder. And uh, so you're feeling that, that clearness of the head? Well, yeah. So Googling it here, it's a brisk and cheerful readiness. And I think that's ah, exactly what you've described. A it's brisk a, and cheerful readiness. A brisk and cheerful readiness. Prepared, I love that. Ready, ready to go. Um, feeling feeling uh, clear and attuned to the task with a big old smile on your face. And that is what Lemon Haze has brought to me today. Ah, oh, what a wonderful strain to... Uh, kick back off into the last two notes on this list. Feeling good about it, Dan. I've got a real stinky munchie to join it, though. Just the Ooh. worst pairing of all time. Uh-oh. Yeah, I'll like, tell you about it Like in a chocolate and cheese. Yeah, chocolate and cheese is actually amazing. So hold your okay, tongue. Okay, pause. Pause on that. Hold your tongue uh, right oh, over some chocolate just, and cheese at the same just time. Just pause. Pause once again. Thank you. Um, so the effects are happy, energetic, uplifted, euphoric, relaxed, and the confusion that chocolate and cheese go together at all. Yes. Well, that is an effect that I will carry long into the future, and I'll enjoy my life while you sit there in mediocrity. Can you go ahead and quote for me one like commercially available chocolate and cheese infusion? And don't say cheesecake. That doesn't count. It, cheesecake. No, I already X A on the cheesecake. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, it's what do you just no? I'm just Stop. gonna let you think about it. Okay. Uh, cherry <laughs> does pie. It, it does not. What say? I want to fight you right now, but I also want to <laughs> hug you, and I don't know which one, which impulse is stronger. It's it's so funny because you never know when I'm gonna hold you to task. I mean, I mean, 99 times out of 100, I'm just gonna let it all go. But then there's that one issue I can't let go, and for this one, randomly, it's chocolate and cheese, which actually I brought up. I like baited you out with chocolate and cheese. You've got you've you, got a real stick up your ass about chocolate. You and bit cheese on that idea. hook, and I said it immediately, like like a hound. I was on it. I'm like, he bit on it. Yeah, let's get. Dude, chocolate and cheese is a beautiful thing. A little sharp old cheddar, a nice dark chocolate. Those two things together are beautiful. Yeah, you bite one and then you bite the other, but they're not combined on the same flavor train. They're stages of flavor. Like I'll have my steak and then shortly after I'll have some ice cream, but I'm not putting ice cream on my steak because I'm not in fact an asshole. <laughs> I mean, that's up for debate, but I don't know, man. I think I think throwing a, a little piece of sharp cheddar on top of a nice piece of dark chocolate and taking a bite, not bad. Okay, agree to disagree. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna huff you some of this cherry pie before we come down to why does it have to be a personal insult? Just uh, let me usually let Dank Dan chalk one off on the board. I've clearly won this round. You can bow your head in shame. We'll just move on. Yeah, what? feel the failure, accept the failure, let it make you better. You damn, damn millennial. <laughs> you just, you're, uh, okay, let's not, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> what is cherry uh, pie? Go ahead and get that in you there, Dan. Maybe yes, it'll sir. make you more agreeable and more sensical. By the That's end of this true. podcast, you'll have like a caramel and like, I don't know, a cheese string and you'll be just singing its praises. I let you get deeply handicapped by cannabis and then I struck. I struck immediately. 
Cherry Pie's parents are Granddaddy Purple and Durban Poison. With buds that are dense and full of orange hairs and a touch of purple, this strain smells of sweet and sour cherry pie. The effects have been known to come on in minutes and stick around for a couple of hours. <coughs> so, um... Oh, Sorry. lingering. It's a lingering. This one has hit me in the face so hard. I, I was not done exhaling, and my, my face is immediately, immediately smashed by a truck. I, I can feel it in my eyes and my face. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Drayden says, I am not easily impressed. Cherry pie, however, did something not even my beloved Blue Dream does. It made me smile. We are talking Cheshire style. My anxiety literally melted away in a sea of tongue-caressing sweet vapor. Thank you, OG Kush Genetics. Lovely to have you here. That's cool, man. Gentle calming effects is what you're uh, what you're in for there. Some sweet berry and earthy flavors. Thank you, Leafly. That's a nice little uh, ooh, nice little synopsis. And I kind of wish I was smoking on some cherry pie. It sounds delightful. Now you're expecting on the flavor side that the cherry is going to take the main stage but it's that nice grounding earthy taste that really steps forward and that the cherry is like that snap at the end at the at, for me the front of my tongue there you get that that cherry tickle right at the finish there um it's mm. nice you get kind of like um like a, a sweet sort of airiness at the end in your mouth which is like interesting because a lot of the time when you have the earth in that in that mix it's the earth that sort of settles in the bottom of your mouth like if you're smoking a durbin poison you're tasting right. that durbin poison but this one's left a much lighter airiness on the old uh, palito ah nice that's nice to hear um lightning round question what kind of pie is top sorry no no, no roll it back lightning round okay. question round two top, th- top three pies top three pies in your stable go Start um, from number three down to number one. Go. I'm not. I'd stop this orderedness. No, I love it. Uh, so, got to be cherry pie in the mix. It's not um, a coming in number two. Strawberry rhubarb. Got that Ooh. sour. You got that sweet. It's it's a great seasonal mix, and you get to mix what is essentially a garbage production rhubarb, rhubarb. And, uh, and and make it work. And that's always impressive. And they I'm serve come- that in every nursing home I've ever been to. And I'm going to come way from the back benches and say, if the berries are handpicked off the side of a mountain in August, a blueberry pie Mm. will change your life. I feel you on that one. I feel you on that one. Uh, Blueberry pie is indeed my number three. And I'm similarly of the opinion that, A, if you make your blueberry pie too sweet, you are a sinner. Don't make up for bad blueberries with more sugar because that's just not good. You've ruined, You've ruined it. it. And you got to have a little scoop of vanilla ice cream with a blueberry pie. A dollop. Caveat. You got to have a little dollop, little dollop of uh, vanilla ice cream. Blueberry pie is a delight. My late grandfather was a big fan of blueberry pie. Gramps, have a pie on me. Uh, number two, I'm going to go with key lime. Key lime is a beautiful thing. When I was a when I was a shitty university student living in my shitty apartment, uh, I very rarely cooked anything for myself. Most of my meals were Subway and uh, assorted carbohydrates from the local Raba Raba Raba, which is an oh, indigenous. <laughs> indigenous. I don't know why I said indigenous. It's not indigenous. It's a grocery store. <laughs> it's a terrible grocery chain where oh, they charge buddy. 300, 300% more than a normal grocery store for a stale croissant. It um, ranks there right with Hasty Mart. There's Ooh. like Rabba and Hasty Mart. What I love about Hasty Mart is I feel like when you go in there, you're like, uh, 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 um, um, like it's like a hasty shopping experience. They're like, pastier. 
You don't look hasty enough. Like, like, what are they suggesting? That there's some sort of redolence about buying their product? Are they suggesting, like, come to the shop with some discernment. Don't get anything too hastily. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, listen, I've been to some good hasty marts. Make no mistake. There are some, some well-managed ones. A couple I've been to, though, smell like urine, and I'm not into that when I'm shopping for munchies. Um, but back to key lime pie. So as a, as, a, as a university student, I can remember one of the, one of the special things that I cooked on my very dirty stove uh, was, a, was a key lime pie. Now, listen, it wasn't a condensed milk key lime pie, the kind of which I've now in my sophisticated older age am very, very fond of. It was uh, one of those gelatinous <laughs> key lime pies made by combining cornstarch with sugar until it boils. It what you're talking about is jello pie. Somebody jello made you a pie know. full of lime jello. Yeah, I know. And that because you <laughs> said urine, all I can think about is a, like a urine flavored key lime pie. Oh, that's horrific. It got me started on my way to real key lime pie. And today I love almost... Nothing almost more than a key lime pie. It's a delight, especially in the summer. But my number one spot has got to go to Lemon Meringue. Old LM OG with that big, thick cloud of delicious meringue on top. You got it as a kid, you know, at Swiss Chalet here in Ontario. Generic chicken restaurant anywhere else in North America. Uh, Finished off your meal with a real treat. Uh, Grandma's favorite. Thumbs up for Lemon Meringue Pie. I love that. Lemon meringue pie. What do you th- is that from the deep south? Is it the kind of light airy flavor that would have to have developed in like Georgia? Or is this coming straight from our, our Francophonian brothers in pa- Le Paris? Le Paris. I, I don't know the answer to that. I can tell you Georgia um, is the place of origination of key lime pie. Sorry, excuse me. No, no, no. Get Incorrect. back in there. Get back Pardon in me. There. Florida. Florida, I believe, is the origination of key for lime key pie. We- Georgia. Key West. Well, maybe, uh, but Georgia, Georgia, actually their state pie. I know way too much about pie. It's, their buddy, pie it's is peach. No, sir. Pecan. Pecan Get pie. out. I Get shit out. You not. There's no shitting involved. Pecan I, pie is your Georgia state pie. I am such a train wreck because I was so sure it was peach that I blurted it out to steal it from you. I know. And you were like, I'm taking this peachy glory. I'm taking this peachy goodness. I was too excited about the peach. And you intercepted, slapped it down thusly, and and hit me with that pecan. And let me say, this this uh, this post smoke conversation has been like a roller coaster ride of synesthesia, where like pies, 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 strong urine conversation, pies, pies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christmas! Uh, alacrity. alacrity, alacrity, alacrity. I have the worst munchie ever, Dan. <laughs> I, have a, <laughs> I have an old. An old pepperoni stick. It is. It smells like <laughs> beef. Now, the life of a pepperoni stick is so long. When you say old, I get worried. I know. It's like it's graying a little bit. So listen, full disclosure, forgot to pick up a munchie for the podcast today. Found this in the back of my cabinet. I know not, <laughs> I know not how old it is. Um, it's, it's definitely a veteran. It's a veteran pepperoni stick. <laughs> So you literally, you literally foraged in your own house. I feel like it's my, I like, listen, I'm an accountable, responsible person. So False. when I say I'm going to get myself a munchie for the podcast, I commit. Yes. And uh, if I have to eat what is probably mostly garbage to, uh, to make a point and to be true to my, true to my values, then fuck it. Here we go. A big bite of the stinky old meat stick. <laughs> 
So, oh boy. Oh, they've really, what a really tasted the nitrates coming forward there. They've really oh. aged the meat in an upsetting way. Oh, the skin is soft and and just, it oh, tastes like mm, biting into a withered old arm. A cadaver, if you will. Hey, Andy, <laughs> this feels like... Indiscernibly like, salty and stinky. This Ugh, sounds like a food that I you swallowed. normally, yes, would have found by foraging, but it should have been during the apocalypse. Like, <laughs> this should have been three weeks of, like, no food, oh. and you're like, oh, I found a an desiccated like, meat stick. You know, there's an upsetting, like, bubble of fat <laughs> situated in the middle of this long... So, okay, let's put this aside. That's, that's enough of you. How about you, Dan? Do you have something uh, a little more delicious for us? I have something questionable. Um, and it went from one of my favorite listeners, he said, Dan, you languish on your food stuff too quick. So I'm going to hit this so fast, you won't even believe it. So sure. these are a product called Wellness Bites, and the flavor is crispy, quinoa, brittle, peanut crunch. Sounds How many awful. calories per portion? 100 calories. Did they are both up a, Did you beat up a vegan and steal his lunch? Listen, if he can't identify me, it's like it didn't happen. Right. Now, <laughs> it, it makes what I'm going to say, like right off the hop, a false claim. It says, one taste and you're hooked. Sir, these are not uh, a can of Pringles or, um, you know, say a Frito. You're, what you've oh. offered me is peanut crunch that is comprised entirely of quinoa. I think this is something that I would also use to sustain myself uh, during an apocalypse or in a deep forest trek. Ooh, uh, I'm gonna have to change my story having looked at this. This peanut brittle looks so ridiculously delicious. I can't wait it to put it in my mouth. Yikes. Uh, okay, give it a bite, give it a bite. Let us know, how does it sit on the tongue, Dan? Does it sit it's, on the tongue like a stately gentleman or like a, like a stinky old pile of vegetative uh, protein? It's 50% raw peanuts, which is getting me started. Maybe roasted peanuts, but I'm going to say that's raw. A, that's kind of a bummer. And then what's holding it together is an amalgamation of quinoa and what I'm going to say is honey and molasses. I just turned it into a delightfully um, crunchy um, cloister of food. Now, you're going to not want to travel. Wow, let me try those with words. You're going to want to not travel with this like straight in your pocket because what you're going to get is a lot of like pocket lint and debris. It is not a pocketable candy. That's a, that's a big distinction because I often like to travel with my snacks. Yeah, you just want a sack of goods inside your uh, your various cargo apparatus. I can't get the flavor of this stinky meat out of my mouth. I'm drinking coffee. I'm drinking. It's just there. Oh, Dan, save me. Now, oh, let's Oh, before I mean, we a languish. Weird, um, uh, mouth apocalypse. So you're going to have to do the talking for a second. Okay, you're having a you're having a bit of a time. I understand. Well, why don't we get back into our top ten, my friend? I, I think uh, I think I want to shut this one down with a little bit of style and grace. Uh, thinking of some lyrics, style and grace, Snoop Dogg. I think no, Doc, Dr. Dr. Big Papa, Notorious like B.I.G. It. I like it when you call me Big Papa. Uh, that's um, it, man. Style Andy, and grace I, in I have place. to alert you. I have to sound a whistle and 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 let an alarm be known. I'm way too high. Oh boy, oh, he went over the edge. It, it happened pie. in the middle of that, that peanut cluster. The, um, <laughs> the peanut cluster <laughs> took you over the edge, eh? I noticed the air started to get thin around me. And then uh, the, the moon was summoning, summoning me to, uh, you know, crest its apparatus. It's got some secret deep within its The moon is its not core. an apparatus. It can't be. Uh, well, it's an astrological apparatus. That, that much is certain. 
Dude, I've got a nifty little lighter, and uh, I just before we <laughs> jump into the games here, um, and I, I'm just to be clear, I'm feeling great, very upbeat, feeling nice, not too uh, not too heady. So this uh, super lemon haze is keep is sustaining me in a in a fun uh, alacrity, alacrity. And um, before we jump back into the games, I just need to be comforted on something. Am I ever gonna get to go to the moon? No, me not personally, in this lifetime. not you. Well, hold on. What, we're up to some. Oh, you could moon actually. You know, I don't know why. Why Come the on. initial negative? I'm sorry. Hurt, it hurt you me. Know what, actually, dude? maybe in like 50 years, mm-hmm. Dan gets to go to the moon on a, like a, on a camping trip. I feel like we'll be there in 50 years. So it'll be like my midlife crisis. Uh yeah, I feel that's right. You get yourself a nice fast space rocket. I think that remortgage. That I, I'm gonna live till I'm like 200. That's at least the plan. And I'll I'll, I'll go pretty far to make that happen. You know, like if I got to do robot chest. I'll do that. You got to do it, man, because my backlog, I'm sure your backlog looks just like my backlog, and I'm never going to finish all these games unless I live till I'm at least half a, half a millennium old. Playing video games is going to be some time, it's going to hit the, the, the rate that it'll be like trying to read the entire internet. Like, I remember, we, I used to have a book, it said Canadian internet, or Canadian, no, it was just like internet websites or something like that worldwide web addresses and it had like every worldwide web address at the time that's incredible yeah and it's just not a book you can own anymore so like eventually games will be made at a rate faster than you could play them and if you tried you die or need to be you know uploaded what do you mean eventually have you been on steam lately that thing is like there's a new there's like 60 new games a day it's so what i'm not talking about is like playing every game that was ever made i'd say even if you just play like every game that was recommended that it be played because you cut out the chaff right you know what i mean (laughs) right away yeah yeah. you're not playing you're not playing super lollies crossword extravaganza that's not happening but this whole this whole my whole life is a sidebar right now i feel like we probably should have finished off this list before no hold up hold up hold up let's be honest there's like a point in your life where you realize that there's two different lists it's not just games it's games that i will play and games that i will never play yes and it takes a while in your gaming career I think to to happen upon that, you know, especially when we're growing up, like you find a game, you play it. Of course, why wouldn't you? But now, like when you get that first fifty thousand ROM uh, hacked system, you realize that that list of games that you're not going to play, it's pretty long. Real big, real big. big. It's like some hacked version of of Bubble Witch meets I don't know a, a strange Chinese checkers variant that you're like, nope. No, no, thank you. Without knowing it factually, Andy, I would wager that there's somebody who's taken a Super Mario game and palette swapped it for Sonic. And if they haven't made it, they're making it now as I'm talking. Right. The probabilities of the world agree with you. Um, how do I how do I write this train? My number two. <laughs> oh, Dan, why don't we get in, why don't we get some drama in this? It's 1997. It's not maybe 98, probably 97. It's the late 90s. It's the late 90s. Uh... <laughs> Bring it in. Bring it in. a special it, moment. It, it was near Fresh the end Prince of the, it was is not new, but it's year. also not weathered. That's Still it, funny man. and happening. Fresh Prince hadn't ended yet. That's how you tell every story. 
2010. Fresh Prince hasn't been off the air for 10 years. Fresh Fresh Prince is, yeah, exactly. That's your point of reference. Um, I had a very special end of the year. You know, it was the end of the school year. And listen, I was whatever, grade five, grade six, whatever the situation might be. Um, And, you know, my my parents had uh, had come forward with an offering for a graduation gift, which, I mean, listen, you're graduating from grade five. It's not exactly, you know, rocket science, but they were very generous people. Bless them. Um, And so, you know, for me, the thing I had coveted for most of the previous, you know, months was uh, was a, an atomic purple Game Boy Color, the atomic purple Game Boy Color that is like, how can I put it? It's like the symbol of gaming to me, man. Like you know, it's that it's that one system that warmed my heart to the point where I was I was near tears. Did, did you did you have a moment like that in your past? Generally speaking, have I been moved to tears by emotion? Never once. Oh, cold as ice. Very good. Cold as but, ice. Uh, Tear ducts surgically removed. Yeah. My dog can, my dog passed away and I said, well, all right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think this was the time before debit cards or maybe not. Maybe I'm just misremembering. But I can remember standing in Zeller's, which is like the Canadian Walmart that went bankrupt about 10 years ago. Um, so I'm standing in Zeller's. I'm with my mom. And all I want is this purple atomic Game Boy and of what else but Pokemon Blue, right? Mm. Pokemon Blue, that beautiful little blue case, got the Blastoise on there. He's giving you the he's giving you the shifty eyes. He's giving you the eyebrow raise, you know. Um, and it was like five minutes to close, and my mom didn't have any cash on her, or she didn't have enough cash on her, or whatever the scenario was. My dad was coming from the city, which was like an hour and a half away. He was blasting across the highway to come and bring us this money <laughs> so that we could we could have this thing right uh and so i remember like they're closing down zellers i'm i'm not moving my mom's not moving we're just sitting there looking for the door suddenly dad bursts in he's got a wad of cash throw it down boom transaction done and i'm the happiest you know whatever x-year-old of uh, of, of of ever and um you know that story that that moment was was ah, it's I got all the feels there Dan you know what I mean I got all the feels in there I woke up early the next day and spent probably three hours before school that's how early I woke up playing Holy. Pokemon yeah it was a thing um, playing Pokemon blue and it was uh going back to to that era of video games I mean, there's listen. There's there's not a lot I can say about that game specifically. Pokemon Blue was a game with uh, charming sprites, with a gameplay loop that had at that point never been explored, at least by me. Right? You've got this collection aspect. You've got this RPG aspect. It's all jammed together in this beautiful little package. That as a very young gamer was also super palatable because you know everything kind of. Uh, moved along at a pace that I didn't have to guess at much. You know, I'd seen the show. I was I was really into the the the, the setting and and you know, so playing the game felt like just exactly what you want a video game to be, jumping into that world. But what was cool about um, was cool about that time is it was still kind of pre-internet, you know, pre-looking yeah. everything up on the internet. Mm-hmm. So there was just so much urban myth around that game that that's almost more what I remember than the actual game itself. You've got a whole legion of kids, half of which are playing Pokemon Blue, half of which are playing Pokemon Red. They're trading at recess over like this quasi USB cable that you have to plug in at a very specific time. It's super unintuitive. You know, people are ripping each other off by naming their Pokemon something they're not and trading <laughs> trading them over. Teachers are having to mediate the whole thing. It's the Pokemon a real issue. drift. 
Yeah, man. It's what gonna do you really do? Change. I grift Pokemon. And like every second person has an uncle that works at Nintendo with like a secret cheat code for getting whatever the secret, uh, getting to the secret area where you push a truck and you can uncover Mew, right? The 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 one Pokemon that everybody wanted. And um, there's also this glitch in the game called Missing No, right? You know, that's you're, right. You're, that's right. You're right next. You got to gotta wander Island. through some fields. Yeah, well, you gotta you gotta surf. You gotta get. And believe me, I know because I did it so many times. Um, you're surfing in the water on the back of a Pokemon. You're you're going up and down next to Cinnabar Island, and eventually you'll come across this super glitched out, weird ass missing number Pokemon um, that will double up all the items in your. I think your fourth spotter spotter turned it into ninety nine or something like that. So you're sitting there duplicating Pokeballs and Master Balls and Hyper Potions and doing all sorts of crazy shenanigans. Sometimes your game data gets corrupted. Who the hell knows, right? Um, but it's it, that that whole time of those games being the hotness are among my fondest memories. You know, mm. you've got a group of hyped up kids. Um, you got an incredibly solid game. It's unlike anything that came before it. It set up an iconic formula. It's still in play today you've got whatever six generations later of video games having been released to rabid fanfare people are snapping this up and by the way it's the same kids from that night late 90s session that are still grabbing the game they're all 30 now right but we're all still buying it um and yeah i mean it's one of those games that everybody played and and that kind of kind of had that effect of bringing everybody together in the schoolyard so pokemon blue was a was a fond memory now dan We've we've talked at length about your uh, about your distaste for the franchise. Did you did you have did you have a copy of either of those games? Did I have a copy of either of those games? Zero percent. Man, you just, even back then you were a heartless shit, eh? I played Pokemon so tangentially, and every time I'm just like, I can't do this. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why. I something about that gameplay loop. It just crushes it for me somewhere along the line. It's one of those game games that I look at it from afar and I go, "Yeah, I could see how that could be fun for somebody." Yeah. I get. I get that. It's got a lot of check marks for me. You know, I I like a lot of the elements of the game, but for something something inside, I think it was the age that it was pointed at. It was pointed at. I'm gonna say 13 year olds at the time. Right. And yes. I wasn't 13. I had better I had better things to do. Oh yeah. Yeah. I get it. I understand. And even where it. video games were in my life, like they had been pushed from like like I'm willing to dedicate 50% of my time to this cuz I'm 13 to like I got stuff on the go. I'm like, you know, doing school and rugby and have a job and a girlfriend and so me the idea of me killing a couple hours on a handheld device you know, just it wouldn't, it wasn't happening. Just, <laughs> I get it, man. I'm, Listen, yeah. I, I understand. It's funny how things come full circle now, though. <laughs> I, I think about that age when I was eight, like 18. I think I was sleeping like five hours a night between like work and school and all the things. And that was on a good night. You could do that at one point. You just ride it into the rocks. That's it, man. That's it. Now I feel you. I, I I did that, you know, several years later when I was on a a, a familiar. I mean, I'm nowhere near as as uh, old and and venerable as yourself. Correct, Mundo, uh, my friend. That's it, buddy. Um, but you know, I, I know what you're talking about. And listen, I get it. I get that you you didn't get steeped in it. Um, I just part of me wants to, you know, 
jab and and poke fun and 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 you know be mean about it and the other half of me just genuinely is weeping inside for the childhood that you missed i had a i had a childhood man no, it childhood just, missed childhood it just was consumed nope. with you know command Tragedy. and conquer really and bad. not <laughs> upsetting what was the, okay let me put it to you andy what was the best experience that po- pokemon offered up to you that I, mean, I if missed i could think of on? your childhood without pokemon it would uh be set to the tune of a sarah mclaughlin song it's the sad hulk walking away song <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Mm. In the arms of the angels. Okay, um, that's my number two, Pokemon Blue, dude. We gotta, whoo, we, <laughs> we gotta move along here. Friend. Light it up. Along. No, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Good You're job. Two. Good job getting out. Good Pokemon Blue. Knowing, knowing how it would go. All right, Andy. I question to you. Am I on number nine? I'm gonna say that I am. You're on number nine. We each have one more to go after this one. This uh, this order that I've just I've brutalized so badly. So for me, uh, for, uh, no zero segue. Um, Andy, do you like real time strategy games? <laughs> well, here's, I don't. Here, I don't. Here's a here's a treat for you. Command him. and Conquer. Um, I'm gonna say it was uh, started as a '90s game. We don't have a lot of facts on this one. I have, actually have no facts written it's down for it at all. Definitely a '90s game. Definitely has to. Be. <laughs> This is a series that if you played it, you loved it. It's like uh, a nice, uh, you know, early 90s, like Warcraft 1 and 2 era. You know, drop your bases, get your guys together. Uh, it's got a nice medieval overlay. Or no, not medieval, holy Hannah, military overlay. Um, and it's just, it's charming for the time. It's yeah. simple in the right spots and uh, got a, a great amount of style. You know, it's one of those games you can click on. Uh, the units and they say something hilarious. That's a big deal for me. That's actually a selling point of the RTA the RTS strategy at its core. I'm going to hear what every single one of these guys say. That's amazing. You know, I have to ask you. So, like, you? all jokes aside, I'll, I'll, yeah. let's let's pull it together a little bit yeah. here because Command mm-hmm. and Conquer is a, it's an important it's an important franchise. It's an you know, it's title. one of the yeah, it's one of the founding RTS games out there. It's uh, you know, it's it's we talk we've we've laughed about the FMV cutscenes previously, um, and apart from that, you know, Red Alert. Um, Actually, even like I actually liked Generals, a title that came out in the 2000s quite a lot, although it, it didn't get super good reviews. But um, is that the conquer- one that was a little bit more 3D? Yeah, like it, it had. Yeah, can't that transition is not. Yeah, workable. it was a little weird. But I even I like that one even. Um, you know what I'm curious about though? Like, where did Command and Conquer? carve out its niche next to you know starcraft and warcraft because like starcraft and warcraft were such a thing it's hard to believe that command and conquer had such widespread success like next to those titles which were uh, arguably complete genre beginning and ends you know yeah you know it's it's one of those things where i think they got ahead of the pack um right on the gameplay and you know by the time that those other games came out it was uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert, the second entry, which is always, you know, a quantum le- level forward. We know that from, you know, Warcraft 1 and Warcraft 2 Tides of Darkness, like the gameplay jump is huge and just builds on a on a formula that already works while adding more charm, more unique characters, right. better units, these new, uh, you know, they fur- further deepen uh, the factions and how they differ, you know, whether it be the orcs and the humans or... Um, uh, the game we were talking about, like uh, the Russians. The Nod and the... And the uh, oh, Nod. thank you so much. Yeah, Nod and something or other. The G-O-D? G-O-D, it, no. yeah. No, G- Is it? E- no. G-A-D? G-something D. It's the U.S. and Russia, and nobody wanted to get sued. Like, no. And it's te- techno-evil Russia. 
because they were they're like they're one of the acceptable targets yes Um, that's it that's it they they fictionalize that shit pretty hard um yeah i mean like command and conquer to me was was uh a lot of basement land play and to be fair i played a heck of a lot more starcraft than uh, command and conquer uh and unsurprised unsurprisingly to everyone i was terrible at both just no matter how much i played real bad at both of those games that's why rts's don't rate for me these days yeah, the, the original uh, games were networked, and some of the, the first ones that were, and you would set them up with static IPSX, SPX, non-writable addresses. So Is that a real... St- I don't know. What you're, those are the things that when I was, like, observing those uh, letters in the 90s, I just... I- shut my brain down <laughs> exactly you're like some, it should just say something that i can't get to work over something it. about a socket a port i, I don't know I don't if know. i'm building a There's car a vacuum or tube networking. involved yeah so you could play against uh you know other people on a land so it was it this is the thing i like about the game andy i love the story i love everything it is i even love playing land against your friends but once you sure. got into that thing where it was like star starcraft was the first one to really be like this and there was all this network play uh, for worldwide and like I just couldn't win any matches. And if I right. did, like, something went wrong. Or, you know, I ended up using some of the cheaper approaches, like you can Zerg Rush and just take your chances. But it became such a science. That's the part of the game that the science of, like, building a base really fast uh, against another player, I never got into that when it was like, I have everything macroed and I do these things because it's the most time efficient. That, when that game, when that became, becomes a strategy and what where the, the fun is derived, that's when I tap out. I totally, so, I'm so on the same page because I drive, like I get so much um, satisfaction out of the actual activities in an RTS, like StarCraft especially. First of all, the graphics, sorry, I won't take it away from Command & Conquer too much, but let's say both games. The graphics in both are charming, right? They're like quasi 2D. They're they're designed in a really pleasing, aesthetically nice way. Um, and you know, it's fun to make more little mans. You know, it's fun to you know build up your tech tree and to get get down and dirty with some whatever factories and weapons and prioritize. All of that is fun. You build up a base and you're like, okay, I'm ready to take the fight somewhere. But what the actual relevant strategy of those games is is like. You know, click as fast as you freaking can and, uh, you know, rush bases and, and do the thing. And it just, the gameplay loop never matched what my my head fiction was about RTS games. You know, it never, never meshed well that way. And either that makes me a bad strategy game player or maybe I just, uh, maybe I just, you know, could never appreciate it enough to, to, um, to perfect my strategy, you know? I think it's one of those things where either your brain enjoys uh, putting an operation to get that together that well and it like just hits some receptors for you or it doesn't. And I'm glad there's a guy out there that can beat me at StarCraft 2 with his feet. I nice. like that. I'm glad yeah. that that exists. You know, it's it's kudos to him. He's a maven. And uh, and I glad I'm glad a guy like that's out there. It just it's it's not it's not the, the gameplay loop I want to sign up for. No, no, thank you. Feels I'm like good. work, doesn't it, Andy? It does. Kind of like, like this. Kind of like this. Yeah. Well, hmm. <laughs> no, I'm, lo- I'm loving it. Don't get me yeah. wrong. There you go. Um, you've got three factions. I feel like I feel like today there's probably an AI that yeah. has the exact optimal series of button presses and actions queued up over a one hour span of gameplay to be unbeatable, depending on the yeah. matchup. 
Yeah, and it, that's, it that's definitely what feels is a weird thing. About it. There's a detector for is your are your inputs zero delay? If right. there's zero delay all the time or the exact same delay all the time and it's not high, uh, you know, you're getting flagged for cheating because that became a thing immediately. Sure, because you can program macros, and if you can do that, chain them together, you got yourself a winning algorithm. Alpha yeah. goes zero. I, I won't pretend to know to be to be the you know the be all and end all of knowledge on how that shit works and what what the outcomes are, but. For me, it was never exciting enough to jump into. But Command and Conquer, you know, it was it was definitely a period of time uh, that felt good, you know, felt fun, and and was a game that I played a lot. I still probably have those CDs kicking around somewhere, somewhere deep. Yeah, it's actually probably rolled up in a CD-ROM black packet somewhere in my house. Yeah, isn't that a warm, fuzzy feeling? And now for the number ones, Danny, we're uh, boy, we're climbing, we're we're nearing the summit, nearing the summit of this of uh, this very tall mountain. I'm thinking in the future when we do um, when we do a top ten list, it's got to be like rapid fire back and forth, a little less oh, nostalgia. We've, we've turned this into such a dirge, and like it, rather than like sprinkle nostalgic games through a list, we're like here's a, a list of everyone that I'll talk for hour an hour about. That's it, man. That's it. Yeah, German precision next time. Uh, a little bit less, uh, you know, side of the road, strung out <laughs> under, a, under a semi tractor trailer worth of, I don't even, bad analogy. You know let's what? Get, Here's a hey, positive note. Uh, every top 10 from this one is going to be good, like better. Yeah, even, well, listen, this one had its place because, dude, these are the games that made us gotta, gamers. I, gotta I mean, plant shit. a seed, buddy. It's not a bad gotta one. Plant it. All right, let's rally. Let's get to the top. Let's, let's so, flower up. Uh, a couple years after my Pokemon Blue experience. Don't do this. It's like a CBC radio special through a, through a blue lens. Um, there was a blockbuster. Every employee. one of your stories could be played by the kid from Wonder Years and your voiceover. Like sure. every single one. <laughs> oh, man. Am I just a, a hyper nostalgic person? I don't know. If I am, sue me. I like it. Um, there was a blockbuster employee named Phil. Phil had a ponytail and he was very tall and I don't know to this day if when I was, you know, my young self was talking to him, if he was 18 or 48. I have no clue, Phil, how old you were. Um, but you said something really exciting to me and that was, I was renting my uh, my copy of Banjo-Kazooie um, prior to having received the system uh, and, you know, was going to check out and Phil, who I uh, who had recommended to me such gems as the Goonies, listen mm-hmm. to Blockbuster employees were tight. They could always recommend you something amazing. And that was the the Goonies was like a a real moment for me. Anyway, I digress. Phil said to me, he said, you like Banjo-Kazooie, do you? I said, yeah, I do. He's like, how about a game that with unbroken levels? And I thought to myself, what are you talking about, Phil? And he said to me, a game where the whole game world is transversible. I don't think he said transversible. He said something. You can walk across the whole game world end to end without loading a new level. And I thought to myself, and even right now I feel crazy saying it because I I just, boy, words are coming to me and they're not making a lot of sense. But this (laughs) is what (laughs) Phil said. And this is how my young mind received it, which is to say very confused. And it was like six months later that Zelda Ocarina of Time came out and I finally came to understand what the hell Phil was talking about, which is Mm. to say a total seismic shift, at least for me in the world of 3D games on how a 3D game could be represented, which is to say really my first experience with world with like a, an immersive world, you know, cause prior to that, you've got to, you've got to, 
you know, your Sonic the Hedgehogs and yeah, sure, your Banjo-Kazooies or your, you know, Super Mario 64s or your whatever uh, Bombermans and, and Mega Mans and it just these games that are representative of ideas, right? There, you've got either vector graphics or, you know, um, levels that are designed with mechanics first. But to that point, I had never played a game that was about the story and environment in a way that Ocarina of Time was. I was so taken with it that immediately had, you know, that was the top of my priority list for, again, my young self's acquisition list. And I believe I got it for Christmas of that same year. And um, I remember going skiing with a friend. He broke his leg on the way down the hill. What? And yeah, no shit. Broke his leg at the bottom of the hill. Um, we came back to my house. My parents were like wondering, like, do we take him to the hospital? We didn't know if it was broken or whatever. His parents came over. They were all deliberating. And I should have felt anxiety and angst for my friend. But I was so excited about Ocarina of Time that I like basically carried him over to my room so we could play until our parents decided whether or not we were going to the hospital. <laughs> I like was, you reach into your bag of things that you could use to comfort your friend and in his moment of pain and, and despair. And you said, I got the thing for this. I got in front of the TV. And I just picture him just being washed over by its splendor. And he's just like mouthing the words like, oh, my God. Yeah, like, yeah. You're not wrong. It was it was actually a perfect mo- it was a perfect memory. I can remember because I, I, I was so like excited about this game that I had the game box perched proudly on top of the VCR, which was on top of the, the TV. So it's like every time you walked into the room, there was no doubt what game was being played. It was Ocarina of Time. No shit. And, you know, it's the game that you're so excited for your friend to experience that, yeah, you're, you know, in Jabu Jabu's belly, but you just start the game all over again so he can experience its splendor, right? The opening cutscene, the music in, you know, um, oh God, what the hell, Kokiri Village, right? Nice, nice. Yeah, there you Stuck go. Stuck the I mean, listen, man, there's, what can you say about Ocarina of Time? It's either you've played it or you haven't. And, you know, if you played it in that, in that period of time, there's probably so much nostalgia and warm, fuzzy feelings wrapped up in it. And it's an individual experience that you probably had, you know, uh, many times over, but, um, the game was accessible. It had, you know, a hint of whimsy to it. It was a game that didn't take itself too seriously, but also had a really compelling and emotional story, which is beautiful. You, you can you think of like some of the characters in, in that uh, Ocarina of Time, but also in the franchise, the fault, like the Gorons, right? You know, you're rolling up what's called Death Mountain and you're fighting off these interesting bouncing tarantulas. Again, very whimsical only to find this race of like strange rock people that eat bombs and smile all the time you and are I mean? going to make you a sword that you will break. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, there's so many disparate, you know, memories of Ocarina of time that I could sit here and just spout nonsense for the next 30 minutes and just feel great about it on this end. But I will spare the podcasting general public about, um, about that. And at the same time say that, you know, as the story progressed, the tone shifted. There's a super big difference between childhood link and adult link and the weight of what happens to the world that they set up when you're a child, which is to say Hyrule when you're a kid is like this whimsical place. It's light, it's cheery, it's fun. It's, you know, got mystery around every corner, but it feels, 
um, feels like a, a magical place. And then, you know, you you end up in the Temple of Time for however many years, a decade or so, and you come to as adult Link, and all of a sudden it's this, like, dark land with zombies roaming around. Um, and, you know, you, you really feel the weight of the peril that's set up in the first act uh, and, you know, are, are determined to go about, you know, turning things around and saving Hyrule. It's a game that creates this series of, um, of plot points which aren't particularly complex. You know, you're saving a princess, you're defeating an evil lord. It's not nothing, you know, out of Shakespeare. And yet the emotional connection to the races of that game, to the Gorons and the Zora, the different, you know, uh, places like Kakariko Village and Zora's Domain and, um, you know, Lon Lon Ranch, right? That feeling when you get your first horse, <laughs> when you, you know, you, you, you do the horse race and you end up with a pony. Like, okay, so I'm, I just... I could not I could not stop talking about this game if I tried. Ocarina of Time is unparalleled on the platform. For me, it's the best game that I've ever played. Um, and even today would play it nonstop all the time, uh, anytime that I could forget enough about the plot to jump back in and re-remember it. Andy, uh, you know, bam. And there's so much to be said about this game. And of all the things that I, I'd like to drop, there's there's I'm gonna whittle it down to one. Link says skank. I know uh, you might not believe it. When Link is attacking, he does a, a, a combo attack when you hit the button numerous times. And he says, hit ya, skank, every time. And I'm like, don't ruin this one. Hold on. And I'm like, my ears here, like, I didn't hear it for the first 20 hours, maybe 30 hours. I'm sitting there with my sister. And I'm like, hold up. Does Link say skank? And my sister's like, no. And I'm like, no, I mean, he for sure does. I'm like, I'm a tack sign. And he's like, hip, yep, skank. I'm like, how did my brain miss this? And you how broke, is this here? How is this childhood. here? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you, it makes it better. Go back. No, it's all right. Nothing I like that. It. I like that Link has at least, for a silent character, he's got at least one burn. And that's to just really debase his enemies by impugning their sexual history. <laughs> I like it. I like that. That you know what? Ocarina of Time. Slow clap. It turns out Zelda's Link is more hateful than you'd like him to be. You're like, could be worse. Okay, and you're number one, Dan. Go right ahead. <laughs> okay, let me set the stage. Let me let me get some of the emotional chops that you've been showing. Let me get the Wonders Kid year at, Wonders Kid out here. Wonder years. Oh, man. Can't talk. Back to start. So the year Dude, is. I feel just before you get into it, I feel like <laughs> like we are. In a, a baked Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. We're at the, the center. The, the molten center of a baked Alaska. Here's the thing. That, spooned into the mouth of our readers. Here's here's the thing about a top 10 list is we get a little bit jazz and freestyle at the bottom of the podcast. We gave ourselves a job to do from the front to the back. <laughs> and when you have this <laughs> list of discrete things to get out, you're really married to it. And, it, you know, Andy, I applaud you for bringing us back to number one. We've made it. So the year is 1991. The fresh prince, prince of Bel Air, is a fresh <laughs> dew upon the grass, and a game has made its way from Japan to our shores in North America, PAL region, and uh, makes its way to my Nintendo. And it's a game called Mega Man Two. Oh, and Mega Man Two! There is so much to be said about this this killer of the NES. It's one of the the deep hitters. It's a savage, um, you know. 
Uh, Andy, you, you you agree? You get on some of this? Listen, man, you know as well as I do uh, that I never played Mega Man 2. In fact, mm-hmm. my first foray into the Mega Man world was only recently mm-hmm. with Mega Man X, uh, and it is one of my points of shame. That being yeah. said, over the past few months... Um, you know, I've spent more and more time with uh, with 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 various uh, titles in the Mega Man franchise. I still haven't yep. touched two, but I get the charm. And by the way, spoilers: um, the new Mega Man Classic Collection Legacy Collection has come yeah. out for Switch. So Mega Beauty. Man Two is definitely on my hot. Bring in the blue bomber home. So getting it. In. This game is just an awesome, dynamic uh, platforming shooter where you do the old chestnut of you're an adaptable. Uh, cyborg in the the future, let's call it 2082, and you're g- going after a uh, an evil scientist with your do- robotic dog sidekick. Pretty basic, really. Yeah, really. And the experience is um, just glorious pattern shooting and jumping um, with a boss fight at the end, um, and just amazing music. The, the most dynamic music probably on the entire system to the the point where. Um, there's still metal bands making Mega Man reduxes for Mega Man 2 today. Really? Uh, Andy, you might recall that uh, when we were playing Lotro online, I had picked up a number of Mega Man 2 songs to play on my lute. Yes, and the so, reference was uh, certainly lost on me, but no less cool. <laughs> very good. Um, so that's one thing. Great game. Set that aside. The other part is, this is a game that I rose to glory on because it was a game that... I got very good at, and all of my friends, um, and I mean tertiary friends, like kids that live down the street and whatever, couldn't get very far in this game, but wanted to see the games, wanted to see Dr. Wily beaten. So this is a game that I rose to glory on because people would invite me over to beat Mega Man at their house. (laughs) Buddy, that's amazing. (laughs) And, you know, as cred goes for a lifetime, it's pretty weak. But for like, <laughs> for like an eight-year-old, I might as well have had a motorcycle, an aviator, and a leather Look jacket. I just you roll were the in. Neighborhood video game guru mm. with a happy ending. I'd roll in on my BMX, <laughs> skid in your driveway, drop the kickstand down. Your mom's already got lemonade. I sit down. There's like four or five kids there. It's like your two cousins, your older brother, and I'm like, let's do this. Oh man, that's incredible! <laughs> and uh, I, for, you know what? It just, I, it's, you, I could never replicate that again. There's no, there's no going back to that moment. No one will be that impressed by game skill again. This is the point where you plug your Twitch channel. Oh, buddy, um, this is the that was the minute right there. Ooh, threw in the gauntlet. Okay, check me out. at Dank Dan never forgets his glory time. Eleven years old. Dank <laughs> Dan's glory hole. <sighs> We almost made it, Andy. We almost <laughs> made it. Then you had to say the glory hole thing. Glory holes, we salute you. <sighs> Goodbye, advertisers. No, come back. <laughs> We're cool. We're cool. <laughs> gonna take us home, pal? <laughs> We're gonna no, leave no, us in please, these wilderness. Please tell us more about Mega Man 2. <laughs> I think that was that wasn't the crescendo, dude. Um Yeah. There, there's secrets in this game. Find them. You'll enjoy Come it. Come on. Come on. I'm sorry want, for derailing you. Do you want more? Because genuinely, listen, as someone who hasn't played a lot of Mega Man, um, right. there's something deeply Great way fascinating. Great to start. Good way there to start. Go. There you go. There's something deeply fascinating to me about the culture of these games. And, I, you know, I was... 
I was struck by just how difficult, how arbitrary, the words I used were arbitrarily difficult Mega Man X felt to me initially. You know, Mega Man X felt like it was throwing brick walls at me for no reason. It was frustrating. I was like, how who the fuck enjoys this game? And then I pushed past those brick walls to the point where I felt satisfied by defeating a seemingly insurmountable challenge, which is not really a feeling I get often with modern video games, right? It's just such a bare, raw, mechanical challenge that Mega Man presents. And I can only, like, what you're describing is having the chops and having the patience to endure the repetition required to be good at that game. And I can see how that would make this a number one game on your list. Because, you know, it's probably not something that everybody who in that generation of playing video games achieved. And at the same time, it's it's enough of a commitment that I could see it being a pretty foundational part of your gaming repertoire. Am I hitting, a, am I hitting the nail on the head? My man, you got it. And boy, I'm feeling the love across the airwaves right now because you, you get me. And, you know, it, it's a high point in the series on a great, a great tight, a great, you know, type of game and well executed because Mega Man 1 doesn't take it. It's a little bit too basic and there's no charge shot. Right. And it just doesn't have the polish that Mega Man 2 has. The music, really, it's the best in the series. So that puts it ahead. The only detractor from Mega Man 2's glory. And uh, I'll also mention has the best bad guy and and weapon upgrade, which is Metal Man. Shoot a metal hacksaw in any direction. Amazing. Nice. Best weapon. And you can get it early in the game. You can take him as your first or second guy. Easy. No problem. Um, <clears throat> is The only detractor is, at that time, what you developed was the two-button clutch, where you use your thumb, you're always holding charge, and you're tapping jump with the bottom of your thumb, top to bottom. So that's like the that's the hand position on Mega Man Two, in my opinion. The claw, and yes. Not the claw. No. This is just this is just the thumb across the two. Right. The claw comes in because you have the up and down thumb motion in Mega Man Three, where they introduce the slide dash, mm. which is a new method of motion that would slide Mega Man all across the ground, reducing his height by half. So he's sliding under bullets and. Um, uh, terrain and things of that nature, uh, uh, doing cool things with the slide mechanic. It doesn't have that. Oh, I see. And so yet it's missing still, just that one last dimension that it was a great game. It maybe is better than Mega Man 3, but it just, if it had that extra mechanic, would be even greater than it was. It, and, and I mean, I, it's hard to say because maybe the level design is just so perfect that the slide couldn't have worked as well. You know, it's hard to be a, a uh, uh, a quarterback on the couch on this one, <laughs> but yeah. uh, and Mega Man's always iterating. You know, once they got to the X series, you're picking up gear. Um, you know, and they, the, the 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 game has a lot of chances to take, throwing trying different weapon types that change game style. So you know, the series has got a lot going for it. But number two is that sweet spot. And if you have not played this game, go play the game. Play every level a little bit to hear, because that's a nice thing. You can see most of Mega Man without beating it, because you can play it in any order uh, in terms of the initial boss fights. So you can see the whole game, even though that, that, that it's hard. And I love that as a mechanic, because if you're a game like Ninja Gaiden, and you're so hard that most people are, are excluded, people don't make it past the first level. But you right. can be shit at Mega Man and, and get the vibe they're throwing down on every level. Um, and they're great. They're great. The wood level, the flash level with the closing laser barriers, um, you know, great level design because they can just throw it all over the place. I love it, man. Yeah. So, dude, well executed. High five over the phone. Top 20 games. Well, 19 games, but top 20 games that made us gamers. 
I'm feeling feeling the good on that one, and also feeling like my uh, super lemon haze is tipping me a little bit towards uh, sleepy time. Um, mm. Before we uh, before we wrap up, uh, just riding a little bit of that Mega Man wave. As I said, the Mega Man Legacy Collection is coming out for Switch. I think it actually came. It was supposed to deploy on May 22nd. I haven't been stateside since since that date, so well before it. So I'm not sure. Maybe it came out. Maybe it didn't. Um, but that's got Mega Man one through six uh, on the Switch. So you can bet that in the near future i will have uh, i will have jumped into the the exotic world of mega man 2 to experience it for myself do it up buddy and and get number two fired up and i'll show you my glory yeah i like it um other games that came out in may uh just because we're, we're we're about to to embark into june and i just want to look at some of the titles um there's another shin megami tensei game that came out strange Finally. journey redux yeah i think it's a it's either ooh, remax remaster of uh it's, it's, sorry it's for 3ds shin megami tensei didn't grab me when i when i picked it up a couple months ago but um I don't know. I could be persuaded to try one out again. Hyrule Warriors, the definitive edition, came out for Switch. That's like a like a, a Zelda themed um, Dynasty Warriors, which is kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big uh, big group smash them up. If you like Dynasty Warriors, you like this game. I heard it was the first release was like middling to good, so I can assume this is only a little bit better. You know, that extra polish never hurts. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, maybe something to pick up. And then the the last game I had singled out here was the um, Warhammer Forty Thousand Inquisitor game, which is neat because like the okay. So first of all, it hasn't come out yet. It actually got pushed until late June, I want to say. Basically, it's a uh, a Warhammer Forty K version of Diablo. It's a, it's a hack and slash looter. And Inquisitors in the in the fiction are like how can I put it? They're like witch hunters, kind of. They're like hunting out mutants and demons and all sorts of you know weird nasties, evil aliens, what have you. Um, so you know, for for the uninitiated, it's something of a of a Diablo in space, um, which you know I personally haven't played a lot of well-executed sci-fi um you know hack and slash loot games i'm hoping that this one especially with uh with you know a setting that i'm i'm reasonably fond of uh, i think I'm, I'm hoping that this one ends up being good mm. also yeah out for ps4 xbox one and pc so maybe a little bit of that multiplayer action danny Ooh, dip our toes in excuse me dip our toes into the the grossest universe and the most potentially badass um let the cat out of the bag we've played a little bit of warhammer on the tabletop with minis and if they could take that flavor and get it properly into an rts it feels doable doesn't it it should uh, be doable sure i mean uh, <laughs> i'm not sure it's it's not an they RTS. haven't been able to do it they've tried so many times and every time i'm like not quite. So I, Try I, again. I may have, have missed. I cannot tell at this point if I've misspoken. Um, there was an RTS called Dawn of War in that setting, which was okay. Uh, but this is actually like a Diablo, like a Diablo style game. Yes. All right. <laughs> Moving along. Uh, finally, <laughs> we, yes, we will. Let's stay to look. Look forward to that. Uh, yes, look forward to that. That um, review coming at you, episode 85. You. Ooh, 85. Yes, sir. Boy, dude. All right, strapping it together. <sighs> we asked our listeners, finally, before we adjourn, we asked our listeners, what is your favorite game that's at least 20 years old? And I wanted to, I wanted to just quickly jump through because we had a bunch of folks who were nice enough to give us the business. Um, Dan, do you want to take uh, Bo's game room here? What did he have to say about uh, his favorite 20-year-old game? 
Well, Powerful Bow comes at us with Earthbound because it's the most unique game out there. One of the best soundtracks, relatable characters, and made him tear up at the end. It's the game that he keeps coming back to year after year, uh, and the battle system is super unique with the rolling HP, super trippy graphics. Ooh, super trippy even. I like that. I, you know, I haven't played Earthbound, but I've, I've heard this gentleman speak enough about it that I'm, I'm certainly interested, uh, at the very least, in what it has to say. Um, it's, uh, it's for the Super Nintendo originally, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's a game that nipped at my heels as well, you know, and I've got a sense of it over the years, but it's one I've never dove into. And it's, it's something that, that it sounds like the game I would love to play. I think Earthbound is in my future, especially with old Bo's Recommendo. Yeah, it's like it's a so from what I understand, it's like a, a quirky um, Japanese, I think, RPG that that you know has a um, how can I even put it? It's almost like a it looks like a PG game, but I understand like it looks like a very child oriented. Yeah, know, you play uh, like a little kid named Ned or something. He's yeah. one of the choosable characters on. Um, uh, Smash Brothers, and it's like an invasion movie with aliens invading, and yeah, it has like some tongue-in-cheek, more grown-up comedy. Um, you get an ensemble cast, I believe. Yeah, it seems it's interesting. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, listen, you know, not no no points awarded for you know retro cred because Earthbound is of course a very popular game. Yeah, um, both of us whiffed it on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we whiffed pretty hard on that one. But yeah, definitely one to to, to take a look. I mean, I'm really curious as to why this isn't like in the Nintendo shop right now. Why can't I play this on my Switch? Maybe you can. Only time will tell. Uh, Linked up three 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 says uh, Link to the Past is great because the gameplay is fantastic and the music is phenomenal. That was one of yours, right? One of your top. My tons? man, my man, yeah. linked right up. Linked up. Uh, Elandi says Super Mario World for me. Uh, love the sense of adventure and the branching paths that make it feel like so much more than a platformer. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That tracks that guy well with my experience. Sounds deeply insightful. Yeah, not so bad. Not so bad. Uh, and Donis, sorry, and Donis Usarte Four says I like Final Fantasy VII. Don't we all, friend? Don't we all? Uh, except for Dan, he has fever, fever dream flashbacks about that. Uh, that what seventy six hour session? Lord knows. Yeah, and my brain got frozen into the mountain defense section, and I literally that was performed without the exe- executive function of my brain. Sure. Um, that it was just the night manager that was doing that part of the game. <laughs> the night manager. <laughs> That's like incredible. my my executive function had been gently tucked into bed around hour like 65 63 it's like quite this way sir lays me down gives me a tea i'll be handling the front of house for just now and he goes back to the front of house and beats Dude, his game. your night manager is a scary fucker i remember one time um you know we i had anyway that we won't go too deep into the details but if you're dealing with the night manager you're just dealing you're dealing with no no executive function dan so i'm making a series of decisions that are key for the operational integrity of the unit that's what the night manager is for he takes yeah he takes the helm and, and he has no discretionary ability in fact if you hit the night manager with something there's discernment of he has to jot down a note hastily and send it down to me and he hates doing that he doesn't like it. He his one the operational integrity has to do with not rousing me from my my rest. That's the night manager's purpose. If he has to send a note down, something is has threatened the operational integrity, and you don't want to do that. No, he's terse. He's rather he's terse. terse. He's being very short with you. Whatever That's he's true. doing, he's doing for a very good reason. 
Right. And he's emphatic about that. So anyway, he beat that part of the game and then roused me to beat uh, the last fight with several others. So I believe you'd like to uh, finish the game here. This is where I pick you back up. I'm like, oh, thank you. He doesn't have a name. And uh, and I completed the game. But uh, but yes, you were saying. Uh, <laughs> stream of... Stream of, Stream of consciousness. Stream of night manager. The night manager. LMG underscore rebellious says Super <laughs> Mario sixty four hands down without a doubt. Okay, I mean not my not my jam, but fair enough. Fantastic sense of freedom of exploring the outside of Peach's castle courtyard and the castle itself was nothing short of revolutionary. Not to mention the game is packed with Easter eggs that he remembers even twenty two years later. Wow. And Fond memories. Even, including the wonderful music. Uh, the Jolly Rogers Bay theme is the highlight for him. Amazing platforming elements, awesome puzzles, cleverly designed worlds, smooth as butter controls, and much, much more. He personally thinks this game was miles better than Nintendo's other game, Ocarina of Time, which is often Ooh, considered the best. licking shots from the bullet charade. I mean, listen, I can't take offense to it. The guy clearly has some deep, deep love for Mario 64. Again, didn't yeah, grab me that heart. game. Didn't grab me on uh, on Nintendo 64. Didn't grab me on DS. Hasn't grabbed me since. But, um, you know, for sure, for some folks, it is the ocarina of time of their day. Well, uh, commenter, Queen, you have my vote. Get in there. There you go. Queen Wallaby says Donkey Kong Country 2. Diddy Kong's Quest. Nostalgia. She would watch her older sisters play it for hours. Uh, also has great family and the value. music keeps coming into it, eh? Isn't it? Like you it's hear like, what, what people remember. It's great. Yeah, it's so true, right? It's who you played it with. It's, you know, whether you're your sister or your buddy who's got a broken leg. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I Gnarly says Altered Beast. Rad graphics and sound design. Mythic shape-shifting side-scroller action. Really freaking hard. Been playing for years and have still never beat it. That's cool. Uh, you I think he Ultra said Beast, his right? tag is tag wrong. It's not I gnarly. It's I gnarly. I gnarly. Yeah, man. This uh, yeah, serious. Altered Beast was something that was obviously thrown together in a hurry for the Sega. And that doesn't hurt it. It's got some very basic gameplay. But the premise that you are a dude that um, talks to a Greek guy that tells you your magic. And then as you pick up the most ridiculous power-ups on, on on the rails right scroller you become some sort of altered beast a werewolf then a flying lizard and just these the basic fact that you're going to turn you're guaranteed to turn into a, a an awesome creature makes it a perfect ar- arcade uh release for the sega power nice. up it's got power five up. levels that i think you can beat that game in like eight and a half minutes given the proper motivation <laughs> he's been playing for many years and hasn't beaten it yet so watch your tongue uh hey mr loco says mario kart is the best for parties everyone likes it not sure how old it is i think we'll give it a pass for 20 years mario kart dude was i mean what can you say about mario kart rainbow road uh broke more friendships than it made that's for damn sure did you have a road jumper do you and have a barrier it? jumper a road jumper. So it's a one road of the guys jumper sounds that like you, a sounds like a shiving hobo in 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 deep Eastern Europe. This man is both simultaneously a stunt performer, some sort of genius scientist, and a scallywag. Because sure. what he does is jump at exact point on the Rainbow Road to the left, as I recall, at the beginning of the the big drop at the beginning, and it'll drop him more than halfway through the track. Now. It has to be timed exactly at the right speed at the right angle, and a miss costs you a, a fair, a fair damage. Not a, not so much that it wouldn't be made up by making it on your next loop. It would it would catch you up to the front. Um, but if you have that guy, it changes that map. That map gets a little bit wet and wild. 
Oh, I, I never experienced that. Just just drove it old school, and it was always a bitch. Um, Fading Like Smoke says, Ultima Underworld, the Stygian Abyss uh, from 92, because it was so far ahead of its time, it's insane. I've never played any of the, um, pardon me, the Ultima computer RPGs. Um, they're loved by many, but I don't hear that much about them. I don't know if it's because they're... Uh, I don't. Sorry, I should rephrase that. I don't hear a lot of people playing Ultima uh, in the CRPG sense. Um, most of the time, when you hear about a CRPG, it's like Baldur's Gate or something. I don't know if it's because the game feels too dated to to get back into, but uh, it's something that I'd be open to at least exploring. I love that this call for a game. It was one of those games that's built so tightly around Dungeons and Dragons that it has some of that feeling for me playing it. Like it's 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 convertible in those ex- feeling experiences at the time. So and I think it she's right, way ahead of its time. A bunch of other Ultima games were as well. I I, I preferred not the ones that were top down. There's um, one about the, the Ultima Abyss where you you took like the reins of a it's like half first person action. Anyway, not to go too far into it, but yeah, great call. Good call. Sidescape Gaming says, oh, Dan, you're going to like this one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in Time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yes, man. That's it, man. Yo, you talked plenty about it on the last episode. but uh, Cowabunga. uh, He says, there's nothing like it. Nothing compares to a game. When you finish, you start a new game because you want to. It could play it over and over again. I feel that, man. I agree with you. It's turtle Mm -hmm. time, right? Turtle time, indeed. Smoky Smoke 420 says, got to be Streets of Rage. Classic. Ah, Yeah, man. Streets of Rage. Nothing like grabbing a pipe. Or a bottle uh, and beating up some thugs. Am I right? Yeah, golden, golden uh, grace. That was just around the time where I was learning to really read. Um, and I can recall mistaking Streets of Rage for Streets of Rag <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> for Send too long, out. probably. I Send like a, a guy that believes so much in municipal government that he will put a one sided pair of overalls on and punch his way through his city. I like it a lot. Uh, Chell Lil Raduk says, Zelda Ocarina of Time. No further comments necessary. Fair enough. Gutted Possums says, Duck Hunt on the NES because it helped me become the NRA supporter I am today. Going to jump over that one. Punk B77, Snow Bros. Snow Bros? Yeah, buddy. We're talking like, you remember Bubble Bobble? No. Yes. Oh, no. So yes. the, bu- gu- the Bubble Bobble things, your two lizards that shoot... Um, uh, bubbles and capture enemies jumping up through levels Snowbro pros is very similar although i never played it i know it's like that two-man old school ascension game and you have to like work together or like they move kind of as one unit um this is obviously not having played the game but it's it's a landmark enough that it got it's also in the super smash brothers ro- rotation given that honor Snowbro. right okay uh yeah haven't played it but sounds neat um uh, my name Hut Diren Soon says Pokemon <laughs> Blue. Played it till the timer couldn't go up anymore. That's cool, man. That's 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 a that's a found a brother, Andy. Found yeah, man. Brother. He, he nuked his copy. He played it so much. Um, Shamir twenty four oh five says I don't think it's twenty years, but the original Spyro games. That I feel like that's that's in the pocket at the very least, and I'm I'm of the same opinion. Spyro was pretty classic. We talked about Spyro, and I said there are people that put this at their very top and i'm i'm glad to know that that's true it got it got did get some love yeah yeah spyro's cool man i mean again i wasn't a psx owner uh, so i didn't get a ton of spyro action but uh spent most of those uh, those rented weekends playing metal gear solid but spyro was uh, was the jam for sure um 518 olivia of 420 tetris ultimate puzzle game nice dan maybe uh try out <laughs> try out tetris if you haven't heard of it before 
Tetris, Tetris, Tetris. I heard a conspiracy theory that that was uh, part of a Russian botnet, no? Uh, maybe. Uh, slower, lower grower says nightmare creatures. Cheating and being the creatures instead of your characters makes it more fun, but it's a top 10 for me easy. I haven't heard of nightmare creatures before. Nightmare creatures. I don't know. Sounds neat, though. No, sir. Dakota Coon 94 says Pokemon Snap because it's fun and super cute. Don't think it's 20 years. Maybe it is, but um, I would agree. It's it was uh, it was one that I beat in a weekend of renting it, which is always actually a plus for me because like that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, it was it was a fun, aesthetically pleasing game on the N64. Also neat, just definitely outside of the box. Uh, Spartan Apocalypsis Nine. Um, hard question. I don't know. My favorite video game is Halo Reach. Because the multiplayer is great. Oh, I think I got to give the Ixnay on that one for not being 20 years old. But uh, Taylor Reach is a solid <laughs> game. It's a solid one. Not bad. Uh, almost at the end here. Dean Cannabis says, Ikari Warriors. All-time favorite. Ikari Warriors. My first mm. multiplayer action. Most people don't remember it. Let's see who does. Great post on Deep a cool cut. page. Oh, thanks, Dean Cannabis. That's nice to say. Um, Stacy Secrets. Oh, Stacy, what's up, girl? I'd say Super Mario World as well. I can beat all the levels. I know all the secrets, and it's still fun every time. Plus, the music is awesome. Fist bump. Nice. I am so on the same page on that one. Damn That's right. Damn friggin' right. And finally, we've got Chumbre is Happy. For me, it's all for completely nostalgia regions, reasons. Crash Bandicoot 2, Kotrex Strikes Back. Nice. Nice. I haven't played it. Have you? Maybe. They all kind of blend together. They're yeah. good. But I don't, I don't hate them. Smiling I mean, there's coyote. a good game there. Yeah, no doubt. Is that Crash Bandicoot's 20 years? Yeah, probably 20 years. Oh. Around there. Yeah, well, in... Uh, it's like close. Spyro. It will be, in, it will be Spyro soon. Spyro era. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And finally, Robert Daigle says Super Smash Brothers N64. Yeah, listen... I never, I was, I never got bit by the Super Smash bug. I've always loved the game, thought it was great, but I've never been obsessive or competitive around it. Um, and uh, boy, does that game ever leave a legacy? And I'm pretty sure uh, Smash Bros. for the Switch is going to break people's minds because it's 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 super hyped. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll see how that all works out. Yeah, yeah, gonna give it a taste. It's one of the main games that I'm thinking for the Switch, and you know, for me, nothing will compare to the 64 classic. It just is a beautiful game uh, all the way through. But, uh, you know, the other ones do a pretty good job. Yeah. 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 Smash Bros was, you know what? I loved the, I rented it, of course, um, as, as children do. Uh, and I had a buddy come over and he was just infinitely better at video games than I was, which is true of most video games and most people uh, and me. Um, and, you know, I remember spending a lot of time playing through the story of that game and spending some time in the practice stages, learning how to use the weapons, getting really comfortable with Kirby and Luigi, I want to say. Uh, and uh, then my buddy came over, hadn't played the game before, jumped in as, I don't know, Pikachu or Link or something and promptly smashed my face again and <laughs> again and again. I switched, I think, to Star Fox and he still just friggin' garbarated me. Uh, and I can recall that being an off-putting moment. Well, <laughs> Super a- Smash is one of those games that if I know one mechanic that you don't and leverage it well, you're done. Yeah, you're, you're done. It's true. It's true. And you know, I, to be fair, with fighting games, I've always been more of a button masher than a than a masterer. Uh, although that's finally in my adult years, I've I've 
you know, taking the time to, to get a little bit more competent with Street Fighter. And so I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable there. But uh, yeah, it you was cleaned Smash it up Bros. like your ability to park. Take, take you know, you're just like at one point I parked, I parked like a like a half blind 80 year old woman. And now I can park like a man. And that's that's something to be said. Sure. Sure. Fair enough. Don't blame your cataracts, Ethel. Um, <laughs> let's just, let's park. Just this. hustle up. Let's yeah, park let's this like here. Ethel parks uh, every night. Uh, listener questions or games you want us to play? Watch out for that garbage can. Purple Dungeon Squid at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard here today on this cultured broadcast, be sure to recommend it to a friend. Ah, yes. Finally, thank you for hanging out with us for this top 20 list. Uh, we'll be back to our regular programming next week when we tackle some of the uh, very large backlog of games that Dan and I have been diving into. Um, if you uh, you know, if you got any feedback about our top 20 list here, please feel free to share it with us on Instagram or again at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at purpledungeonsquid. Until next time. Please, my friends, keep it dank. Ooh. Uh, I am high.